This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good Tuesday afternoon. Welcome into Grant and Danny, February 20th, 2024. We are happy to have you with us. We'll be giving away Caps tickets today at 4 o'clock ahead of the Beltway Blitz. Two hours from right now. 5 o'clock, David Aldridge of The Athletic joins us. How do we fix the NBA All-Star game? And what does he think about the learners no longer selling the Nationals? 6 o'clock, Max Chadwick, PFF draft analyst. We'll talk about the top of the draft board and the best quarterback prospects coming out this spring. Washington is picking through that basket of players as we speak. Danny, how are you? We are good, my friend. We are good. That long weekend, it felt really long. I think because the snow happened late Friday and early Saturday, and there were no activities. So usually it's like half your weekend is shuttle the child here, return the child to another location, then go to the third location of the day, whatever. None of those things happened. So it just felt like I, we were just at home for like a month, it feels like. It feels like I haven't seen you in, in weeks. I'm a big three-day weekend guy. Well, I mean, yeah. I could get used to those. Sure, yeah. Made the trek down to Richmond over mm-hmm. the weekend. I, do you know about baby sprinkles? Not showers, but sprinkles? Yeah, usually reserved. I, I could be talking out of my tuckus here, but usually reserved if you've already done the the the, the first kid, maybe the second kid. This Correct. Is, everyone's kind of like, you, you already have all the stuff, but we'll still get together and sip some Chardonnay. I think we could just call the shower again. Could. Who said you can't have multiple showers? I often shower twice a day. Mm-hmm. You shower every single day. Sure, yeah. A baby shower the first time, I get the excitement is ramped up a little bit. And as you said, you're getting a lot of things. You, you reuse many of those. But I don't think we need to call it a sprinkle. I think we could just do another shower. A, a human being is being born. It's a big deal. A life is coming into the planet, into the family. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just call it a shower. But we went down to Richmond. Uh, my sister's having her second. I took the kids down. They were fired up. Uh, my daughter had like a, a job she had to get. I think it was like sprinkling you with love, and then it was some sweets that we had to get with sprinkles on them. Yep. My daughter took it very seriously. She was worried about Yeah, that's about a duty. That's like a job. The donuts getting there on time. Mm-hmm. She was very stressed. It was hilarious. Uh, but she did a great job. Everyone had a blast. But uh, then we went to a brewery, and we the brewery we went to is a very Richmond bit. It was awesome. We sat there, and every hour on the hour, they played bingo. So we would get bingo cards with the purchase of a beverage. Oh, nice. And then they would shout out the numbers. I hadn't played bingo in a long time. It's been a minute, right? Felt like an old lady at a bingo hall with my little dabbery, you know, B7, and I'm hitting it. Uh, but, yeah, breweries, good time on the weekend. I told you about my bingo story in Scotland, didn't I? Where the two, the two guys, I remember is the two guys getting into a fight. The two guys got in a huge fight, 
And the manager was like, of course she can stay and finish her paints, which is the most Scottish thing that ever happened. And then a few seconds later, he's, the manager gets on the mic and goes, all right, after all that, uh, Joyce will be along in a moment for your bingo. Like, th- they were there for bingo. And they came to blows, and one guy, was his head was cut wide open, needed stitches, ruined his shirts. Uh, no one had to leave. They could just finish their pints. And Joyce hobbles in a moment later with her walker. He's like, oh, what have I missed? Has there been a bit of excitement? Yeah. Those two guys got in a fight, and they're still seated right next to each other, by the way. My for bingo. guess is Joyce has seen one or two of those. Jeez. Oh, I've been around. Yeah, it's a common occurrence every, every Friday at 3. A big thanks to Mustafa for joining us yes. here in studio, one of our listeners yeah. who uh, brought lunch today. I ate it. Kicking it with us. Uh, a little buttered chicken and naan bread for my mm-hmm. guy. Did that, and we had some, uh, had like a, a, a meat wrap, beef wrap, and then a chicken tikka masala wrap, I believe. Look at you. What I did is I ate those things. Mm. So some people like are like, oh, I'm not sure what to do. I was like, I'll I'll lead the charge here. I ate until I was full, and now I feel great. It's so much better to do the show on a full stomach. Isn't it? That's what I've always said. You know, you, you got it. Don't eat until... Now, this is advice that any nutritionist would tell you. Yeah, this is what they teach in nutrition school. Don't eat an amount that you think is reasonable. Eat until you feel terrible. And that way, on the back end, Mm -hmm. you're you're going to have energy stored up for the rest of the day. So different strategies. Some people are going, hey, pace yourself. Others go, eat until it feels like you need a nap. I did that. I'm ready to take a nap. Oh, this is going to backfire. Oh, it's already back. I've, we've been here so many times. I'm exhausted. Danny's going to look at me at about 4.45 today in the break. He's going to go, you got it from here, buddy. <laughs> we, we have done this before. We have seen this a time or and 70. I, I, I've said that to you many times. Well, we, well. we know each other real well. You could see it coming. Right? I, I, I go to Walter's, have one too many appies. About 5 o'clock, I let you know. Hope those shoulders have been worked recently. You stretched out, buddy? Feeling loose? <laughs> How the traps doing? Carrying me the rest of the What's way. up, Atlas? Go ahead and take this world. I want to start the show not with football, which is where we normally begin the show, but with the Nats, and here's why. They are no longer for sale as they continue at spring training right now. Managing principal owner Mark Lerner spoke to the Washington Post over the weekend saying, quote, we have determined, our family has determined that we are not going to sell the team, Lerner said. Nothing has really changed. This was yesterday he was speaking. We've just decided that it's not the time or the place for it. We're very happy owning the team and bringing us back a ring one day, end quote. Danny, it was two years ago in April. Mm -hmm. April of 2022 that I think it was Barry Sferluga originally broke the story that the learners were considering a sale. At that time, remember, there was no timetable. And there was no real definitive outcome. They didn't know what was going to happen. They were just looking into possibilities, maybe taking on someone to help them financially, possibly selling the team in its entirety. We have, at different varying points over the last couple years, thought that movement was afoot. Uh, Ted Leonsis came forward as the leading, most likely prospective buyer with a a group of folks at one point almost bought the team. But the learners, reticent to get their number. This is how they do their business. You're not going to put Pepsi on their ballpark if you don't give them exactly what they think naming rights are worth. And so they'll just go years and years and years without naming rights at Nationals Park. They got no problem with it. They have not gotten the offer they wanted. And who would have had this in the office pool, bro? Two years ago, they come out and say they might sell. Since then, the commanders have started selling and sold. Josh Harris owns that team. From beginning to end, yeah. And the Baltimore Orioles, out of nowhere, off the top rope, were able to sell. Now, that's still in the works, but we know what's happening. 
And the Nationals now are effectively taking the team off the market. The learners are saying, actually, we'll keep the team. I don't know what to make of it. There, Barry Fuluga wrote a column uh, about this. I think he just published it. To, to this effect, we just don't know. We don't know how the last couple of years have been governed. Did they not spend because they're never spending again? Did they not spend because there was a potential for a sale? You don't want to add too many albatross contracts and, and have the next group inherit it. Cost-cutting before a sale is a normal thing. You don't want long-term overlays. Is it because they're just looking at their watch, waiting for the Strasburg situation to somehow magically resolve itself? Last year of Corbin's deal, a huge $35-plus million cap it coming off the books that might you know kickstart some selling. Is it too soon to start adding pieces to a group? I would have argued no, but maybe they would argue yes. We don't know. This variable is fascinating, and Nats fans are kind of left in the lurch here. It's it's unfortunate the way the last few years have gone, not because they're rebuilding finally, but just there's there's this feeling of bare bones minimalism that fans don't deserve in the wake of a World Series that that's really happened in earnest. It is complicated. I think that them keeping the team is better than the team being for sale and being unable to be sold. I think when you're in flux for sale, that's the worst possible outcome. Agreed. Now, I also think it's worse than them selling to someone that was going to be aggressive and spend money. Steve Cohen was not walking through that door. For those of you that don't know, Cohen bought the New York Mets, has run them since as a guy desperate to win who's throwing all the money at his problems. And it hasn't gotten them anywhere necessarily on the field at this point, but it's been a hell of a lot of fun in the offseason as a fan of the ball club. And, you know, it's the opposite of kind of what the Nationals do. They spend a lot wherever uh, the organization seemingly asks him to, whereas the Nats have cut corners and just financially haven't spent a lot of money as they have been up for sale. And we've talked about this, Danny. It's no different than if you're selling your house and you're in the process of selling your house and things are kind of falling apart around the home. How much do you really want to dump into the house that you're not going to be living in? Do you want to get all new appliances if you don't have to to put it on the market? Do you want to you know, get new flooring and, and do things with your ceiling uh, that you're not going to benefit from or use in the future? So I think in, in a lot of ways, initially at least, they probably assumed they were going to sell. And that was part of why we got to where we did with this ownership group. But... What I really want to know is when did they decide that they weren't selling? Because that would be pretty illuminating for me. If they figured this out a month ago, I would feel better than if they decided this a year ago. And for the last year, they've operated as they have. Do you get the difference there? Yes, totally. If they came to the conclusion like when the – maybe it's as simple as the Angeloses are selling the Orioles. They think that the new owner of the Orioles will be a much better regional partner will be a much better partner to, to deal with mass and wise and get out of that dispute. And so they go, our biggest issue was Peter Angelos, John Angelos, mm-hmm. the Masson deal. We don't need to sell anymore. If it was that recent, then I, I think there's a chance they get back to being good owners and spending some real money again. But if, if they decided this a year and a half ago and they're just telling people now, and this is their idea of ownership over the last year and a half as quote unquote, like engaged owners, this is their big plan to get back to the ring then that would be disheartening to me. And I would think we're in big trouble. I don't think that's the case. My guess is this is semi-recent. Now, Lerner was quoted as saying in this story in the Post uh, that they decided this a while ago. We just don't know what a while ago means. Days, weeks, months, 
sort of certainly after you didn't get the offer you wanted, you pulled it back in, in 2022. We have again, we have no idea. I think the truth is probably somewhere in between. Because remember, uh, it's this is like one of those. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the right analogy. You know those icebergs. Where I'm sure you see them all the time in your daily life. But like the one that, that uh, took out the Titanic, maybe. But like the iceberg up above the surface is like, oh, there's that. There's the iceberg. Well, down below, there's all a whole bunch of mechanics and stuff going on. We see Mark Lerner talking to the media once once every however many months, right? You're giving giving a statement, being being out and about. There's a committee basically of the whole family that we don't see or hear from. It could be five of them said, "We need to be out of this ASAP." I can't stand owning the team. I mean, I have no idea, but hypothetically. I want to be. I want to be done with this. Let's just take the money. The value has gone up. This is too much of a headache. I'm tired of borrowing cash to make payroll and whatever else we have to do. Post pandemic, this isn't right. This isn't fun. Half could be going. No, it's going to come back. It, the value's already gone up. We have short term cash problems. It's going to be great. The, Angelos is gone. Whatever. Who knows if it's unanimous? Who knows if there's been infighting? Who knows if if one group has overruled the other in terms of spending on everything from. Uh, you know, the, the best baseballs to, to to players. I mean, I have, no one has any clue, ultimately. Maybe a handful do, but they're certainly not telling us. So I, I bet you the truth is somewhere in between, where the pulse was probably they weren't selling because, frankly, there'd been no traction, no action on it for, what, a year? Yeah. There'd been no update. There's no, hey, we're closer. Hey, an offer was received. We countered. There's been no report. There's been no nothing, no movement at all. So maybe there was a pulse that they weren't going to sell. The final gavel hitting, though, that seems obviously more recent to me. If you're looking at team payrolls right now in Major League Baseball, the Nats payroll is $90 million. It's 23rd of 30 teams. But that is pretty misleading because well over 50% of their payroll, about 54% of their payroll, is Strasburg and Corbin. Now, Corbin you have to account for because he's still on the team and he's active. Yep. It's in the final year of his deal, and he's paid for services essentially already rendered. They just kind of keep him around. He's a 2019 World Series MVP. Uh, wasn't their MVP of the series. Strasburg was, but was one of the most valuable players. Huge piece. And then the actual MVP, Strauss, is no longer pitching, is never going to pitch again, but still accounts for you know, $30-plus million in payroll. So if you take their part of it out of the equation, you're talking about their payroll being right there with, like, the A's and the Pirates. Lower, honestly. You know, well, yeah. Well, I, I just mean in the tier oh, that right, they're Oh, right, 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 yeah. But, yeah, it'd, it'd be the lowest, the, the team that's – actively spending the least. You saw the offseason. We all did. It was Joey Gallo, who is no longer an everyday player on a championship-level team, and their hope is he can get hot, hit some home runs, and they can flip him for a prospect at the deadline. And not much else. You know, they signed a bunch of guys to minor league deals. It seemed like last year Mike Rizzo had 10 or $15 million to spend in the offseason, and this year he got less. Now, what we don't know is, does Rizzo want to go out and spend more? Is the is the baseball department coming to ownership and saying, hey, we really like this player. Could we sign them? That's adorable you like him. And ownership's going <laughs> yeah. go away for another year? Or are they perfectly fine with not spending because they think it's the best way forward as well? I don't have nearly as big a problem as most people do with how they've done this rebuild. I was on board with the Soto trade. Mm-hmm. Um, categorically thought it was the right thing to do before they did it. Thrilled that they did it. I think it it saved them in a lot of ways and gives them a chance to be competitive again sooner. The Dylan Cruz pick where they got him at number two overall, massive. They're going to have a chance to be competitive here in the next couple of years because of how they've rebuilt this system. And not spending will be unforgivable and problematic in the future. It has not been for me right now because even though the rules screw you up a little bit, they weren't able to draft higher than 10th this season no matter how bad they were. Mm -hmm. 
you want to pick as high as possible, and you want to be able to fully go all in on your prospects. So you don't want them blocked as it is right now. When James Wood and Dylan Cruz and Brady House and uh, you know Cade Cavalli and Jackson Rutledge and those guys are ready, you want them to be in the big leagues during this bad upcoming season, figure out who's good and who isn't, what adjustments they need to make, so that when you're ready to spend, you have more answers. And so I'm for, I'm for all of this. The whole question to me, though, is this is the last offseason like this, in my opinion, based on where the, the build is. Next year's time to actually add some reinforcements, some assets. You get Corbin off the books. Strasburg's going to be on the verge of being off the books one year further along, mm-hmm. depending on what they do to solve that dilemma. There will be no excuse not to start spending. And I guess the question is, how sure are we that they're going to do the right thing? I mean, as a business owner, you, you can get really content not spending any money. Like, oh, this is kind of fun. I don't have to do anything, and we'll just have people keep coming to the ballpark and people keep broadcasting our games. Like, will they hit the switch when it's time to? That's the big question. It's the essential question. I mean, just try to quantify this. You mentioned the, the, the active current payroll is $90 million. These things are always kind of in flux, and there's a lot of complicated calculations that accountants do and Major League pace, uh, Baseball's luxury tax rules and all sorts of stuff. But for the moment, they're at 90. If you take Strasburg's contract out of that because he's stuck on the 40-man roster because they couldn't figure out this solution and situation, but he is simply not going to play for them, their payroll is only above the Oakland Athletics for guys that will play baseball for them this year. It's about $55 million. That's less than the Pirates, and it's only more than Oakland who is moving. Is it is in limbo with zero cost, zero prospect, zero upside. Maybe they go to Sacramento for a year before they go to Vegas. I mean, no one knows what's, what's going to happen. They're a disaster, and it's a black eye for Major League Baseball. That's who the Nationals are in the club with right yeah. now, to, to try to, to quantify this for you. But by design to an extent. To a degree. The, the Astros did this before they went to the League Championship Series. Seven straight years. The Orioles did this before they became the juggernaut and the buzzsaw that they're about to be coming mm-hmm. off 101 wins. 101 team, yeah. Uh, the favorites in the American League East, although dealing with some injuries right now. But we've seen the Cubs and so many other teams that have gone on to win titles build this way where you don't spend, you don't bring in big league talent. The sport is trying to do away with this, but it is a proven way if you develop well, if you draft well. Two things the Nationals have not done very well until – recently and we're hoping that it trends in the right direction this can be a productive way to try to go win something meaningful but the news was pretty big bombshell yesterday two years after finding out they were probably gonna sell you don't announce you're looking to sell or considering a sale in sports if you're not pretty serious about it not only did they not sell for two years but they pulled the team off the market verbally yesterday with mark Lerner saying they're no longer for sale. How do you feel about that? Let's open up the MGM National Harbor listener lines, 800-636-1067. 800-636-1067 is the number on Grant and Danny. Harris is 1-0. Swinging a high fly ball, left field, sending Brantley back onto the warning track, at the wall, looking up, and it is gone! Anthony Rendon puts it into the Crawford boxes, and the Nationals lead the ball game 5-2 here in the seventh inning. 
It's Anthony Rendon's first World Series home run and his second long ball of the postseason. And the Nationals get to Harris here in the top of the seventh. The Nationals five, the Astros two. The good old days of Nationals baseball. Remember that one? World Series run 2019. By the way, they are giving away replica World Series rings for the five-year anniversary this year at Nationals Park at one of their games, which is pretty cool. Uh, Grant and Danny welcoming you back on the fan. Discussing the news from yesterday. We're saying over the weekend. It was a three-day weekend. But it came out yesterday that the learners, and Mark Lerner specifically, ownership talked to the Washington Post saying our family has determined that we are not going to sell the team. Said that the decision was made a while ago. Went on to say nothing has really changed. We've just decided that it's not the time or the place for it. We're very happy owning the team and bringing us back a ring one day. And I had Darius play that highlight because they were a top 10 payroll then. I don't actually think they were this high. I'm looking up uh, via a site that ranks the World Series champions by year and their payroll to start the season on opening day. And this is suggesting they were number three in payroll on opening day that year. I don't think that's true. But they were certainly top 10. Yeah, they were They were only easily top half of the league, top 10, I think for sure, nestled in there. And there was a several-year window where they were spending, and that's yeah. you know, that's what it looked like. I mean, Scherzer, massive contract. They gave Strauss $245 million after that World Series on a seven-year deal. We know how that's worked out, obviously. But it's not like they didn't used to spend. They stopped spending post-pandemic as the team sold off its pieces and rebuilt. And so it is my belief that when it's time to hit the switch, they will start doing that again. But make no mistake about it. If they don't, if their plan is to to pretend to be small market or to spend in the bottom 10 in baseball or to you know go about this now like they're the Rays or, or the Pirates or some organization that doesn't really spend money, that won't work because you're not analytically advanced. You don't operate. You don't spend in the areas you mm-hmm. need to to cut the corners to not have the personnel like the Astros and some of those other teams did for so long. So uh, the question is, what's your reaction to this? I was definitely bummed out initially. Um, I I wanted them to sell, and I was hoping that some Steve Cohen-like rich guy was going to swoop in who wants to go bring in a bunch of great players, knowing that wasn't all that realistic. I also would prefer Leonsis to buy the team. And put them on, you know, the monumental network, and then have Masson no longer be a factor, probably. But uh, I, look, was I bummed? Yes. Do I think this can work, though? I do. I've seen it work. It has worked. I know that they have the club in the bag, or did at one point. And post Ted Lerner no longer with us posthumously. You know, the team has moved on without him in an ownership group. The family. I think they could turn the clock back when it's time to. This coming off season, a year from now, will tell me everything I need to know. So I wonder, uh, are there? Is it still sort of the same old thing as before? And what I mean is, if they go back to quote-unquote spending, is it still half of the money's deferred for the next 15, 20 years, which is now you know less and less guys are accepting that? I guess you can find someone here and there. I mean, I know what Otani just did design with the Dodgers, but it's still less popular than, than it's ever been. I mean, Anthony Rendon said, please don't put any deferred money in my contract. They're like, how about a lot of deferred money right. in your contract? And he was like, pound sand. Now, that obviously worked out. I'm not saying about him specifically, but you know what I mean. Just offering his way of example. Is it going to be a real thing where they go if it's if it's thirty four million dollars a year, it's actually thirty four million a year? Or are we doing this? It's seventeen now and like nineteen for like seventeen years with some interest, and then we'll pay you back on on every Thursday, and you give me five dollars. I don't want any of that stuff. Is is it going to be real? I don't know. 
I'm hopeful, but I'm not optimistic. I, I feel like there's been kind of a – you do it enough one way for long enough, right? Again, I, there was no reason to, to spend a whole bunch of extra in 2021, right, when they weren't very good and they were getting ready to sell off and things. And I think it, this I needs just don't to know. be said, by the way, Danny. I, I do think a lot of our listeners are among the faction of sports fans that just don't like that way of building. You know, the sport itself has made changes and rules to try to prevent teams from essentially, you know, the, the word that everyone – knows is tanking, Mm -hmm. right? It's a dirty word to some people. I have no problem with it. I didn't mind it when the Astros did it with Mike Elias and Jeff Luno. I didn't mind it when the Orioles did it with Mike Elias and Sig Meidel. I think it works. I think this is how you build. I think this is how you win in baseball. There's nothing worse than being okay for a bunch of years. So I am totally cool with the last few years and their spending, to be completely honest with you. I really am. Now, I'm also not spending tens of thousands of dollars in season tickets or whatever some people are spending, right? Mm-hmm. So I understand that if you opted out, then fine, hop back in when it's good again. I don't I don't have any problem with that. Send your statement with your checkbook as far as I'm concerned. Here's where I wanted to do better, though. Even when the payroll was good, Danny, mm-hmm. even when they spent on the stuff that we see, like the outside of the house, I don't get the sense that this ownership group has ever been great about spending on the stuff we don't see. Payroll at one point was elite. You're able to win. You've got talent. Remember, though, in that era, they lowballed Bud Black. They tried to make some offer to him as a manager. Mm -hmm. That was just pretty ridiculous. They went and got Davey, won a World Series. It worked out. Never been a manager before. They didn't want to pay Dusty Baker. Now, I, I thought Dusty had his shortcomings in the postseason and what have you. But it's not like they have been big spenders other than on players ever. Now, if you look at their biomechanics labs and their analytics department and you stack up their R&D and all these other things, I think they got some really smart people. But I've never gotten the sense that they're on the, the forefront of what they're dumping into those departments. And that is where I was hopeful that whether it was Ted or somebody else, someone would come in here and go, oh, this is what we spent? Let's add to that budget. And either they're going to or it's not going to work. So that's where I'm at on this now. Mm. Yeah, the the unsexy stuff, because everybody can look up payrolls, right? But you can't look up minor league facilities, measuring totally. spin rates and, and all the driveline technology. And is there I mean the what's what's the rep been over the last handful of years? While they've been winning a bunch of games, averaging around ninety wins a year for that better part of ten years among the best teams in the sport. They're still not developing a lot of major league talent, right? The guys that were developed were shipped off for the Sean Doolittles and the Ryan Madsons of the world and guys that helped them win a World Series. I'm not complaining about that, but they they had very few reinforcements. Guys came, that came up and were consistently helpful. Like the best of the bunch was Eric Fetty, a number five starter, eating a couple of innings here and there for a team that is going to win 70 games. No, thank you. That's been devoid. Whether it's drafting, whether it's development, the answer is probably yes, right? Not, none of those things have, have worked out real well. So those are the unsexy things, guys toiling in Altoona, guys in Harrisburg, guys in the middle of nowhere, developing your next wave of major leaguers that they just haven't done for some time. So it it all makes sense, and the pieces add up. All right, so quickly then before we get to the phones, I guess my reaction was when I saw the news, I was bummed out. I don't think it's terrible. I still think there's a chance that this works out okay because we have seen them spend at a high level. But I was still hopeful. My dream was a different path forward with somebody else 
that was a much bigger spender and more aggressive than the Lerner family seems to want to be. Uh, your reaction was? On a binary one or zero, it's, it's net bad, right? But I'm not devastated by it, but it's, I, would say, I would say it's slight. slight I, I'm the same way. I felt a little bummed. Do you agree with me that it's better, though, to just have resolution? Yes. Regardless. And an engaged owner is preferred to whatever was happening. If you have an engaged owner. Right. Kevin's in Arlington. What's up, Kevin? How are you? Hey, fellas. Yeah, I wish uh, I wish I'd flipped from the initial reaction you had, which is exactly the one I had, Grant. But I just add up all the negatives with the learners. I mean, since the World Series, you know, and this wasn't even their fault. There was COVID. Then there was the commercial real estate losses. I mean, for the first time, that family really was experiencing some financial distress. It didn't help also that when they did spend – uh, after the World Series on uh, Strasbourg, they didn't take out the insurance policy, and well, here we are. But you know, there's you guys have laid out a number of things that they don't do in terms of what you don't see, the infrastructure that 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 you don't see when you look at the star players and their contracts. My biggest thing is this: I think the golden goose of the Nationals is Mike Grizzo. You've got to give him money to spend so that he can acquire whether they're great players or average players on free agency, but that he can then flip them. He is a master of acquiring assets and trading them and fleecing other teams. And I think they will, Kevin. They certainly did that when they were good. The question is, when do you start doing that again? But I hope you agree with this, and I would just point out, they were not going to be good in any of the last three seasons. Four years ago, the pandemic year was unexpected. You still had Scherzer, Turner, Soto, the whole group, Eaton, all those guys were back. And the 60-game pandemic was quirky and weird. Yeah, they got off to a slow start. We were like, yeah, well, they did last year, too. But now the season's over because we have a month. Correct. Yeah. That year, I just dismissed. 21 was the disaster. Exactly. And the last three seasons, starting in 21, this has been the bottoming out. And to go spend, as the, and they have decreasingly done that less and less. Like They didn't go get a Josh Bell and bring him in, right? They weren't making moves for guys like Nelson Cruz this offseason. It's because now you've got a lot of these guys that are close. James Wood, Dylan Cruz, you don't want to block them. They could have gone and signed you know, an, another Joey Gallo, but if you do that, maybe James Wood isn't able to come up to the big leagues and get the at-bats he needs when he deems that he's ready with his play. So... Again, I, I have had no real problem with the spending because I have been on board with hitting detonate and bottoming out and building this thing from the ground up. But I will be the loudest among you if in the next year, and certainly over the next two years, this doesn't completely change. And they're not adding to payroll, and they're not giving Rizzo money, and they're not a player for a star pitcher and a star bat to surround your young talent with. Because if they're not, there's no way forward. There's no way to win anything meaningful. But the last few years where everyone says they've spent nothing, this is what it looks like. Even if you know the, the they, there was never a sale, even if they weren't considered cheap before this started, right? It's exacerbated by this, but this is a proven model that a bunch of teams have done that they're just the latest team to do it. You don't have to like it, but check out the Orioles. Do you like the results there and how that's working? I mean, this is kind of what a lot of teams have done. What we don't know is what's their plan on the back end. Mm -hmm. Do they go back to having a payroll in the top 10 to 12? Because I often refer to this, you know, right around this time is the Jason Worth time. In 2011, nobody saw it coming. They were 
you know, they were the Nat Knowles, they were the also Rans, they were they were the, a semi-expansion team. They weren't taken seriously. They jumped up and signed somebody nobody thought they would sign. A, a culture-changing signee. They go 81-81 and 81 in 2011. Then the next year they win 98 games. I thought this was going to be that offseason if everybody was engaged. Turns out it's not. Next offseason, though, oh, buddy. We'll be sitting there as soon as the, as soon as the world's last out of the World Series, you and I are going to look at our watches going, what are you going to do? Let's go. How do you feel about the learners keeping the team? 800-636-1067 is the number on Grant and Danny. At the top of the hour, Danny, did you see the blowback the NBA All-Star game got? Catching some Eric Flack. 200-plus points scored by the East. I mean, it really was bad. Does it matter that it's bad? Do we need to do something to tweak it? We'll get into that. Also, we'll go around the NFL here with some news and notes coming up in just a few minutes at the top of the hour. But I want to put a bow for now on our Nats conversation. They are not for sale anymore. Mark Lerner telling the Post this yesterday, gauging your reactions at 800-636-1067. I'd rather them have sold to someone who was going to aggressively spend, but this is better than being in perpetuity, not knowing if they're ever going to sell and having seemingly the Lerner family have one foot in, one foot out while they were waiting for business to pick up on the sale. Let's go to Chris in Hyattsville. What's up, dude? How are hey, Chris. you? What's up, guys? Hey, thanks for the, bringing up this important topic. Yeah, man. Uh, I consider myself to be probably the lone like Lerner defender in the entire market. I constantly get in battles with people on Twitter talking about how cheap they are and, you know, how they're – but listen, you talked about the process that teams like the Astros and the Orioles have gone through. Well, they stole that from the Nationals' playbook. The Nationals invented tanking. Does anyone forget that we had back-to-back number one overall picks in the late 2000s? How do you think we got there? And the team didn't spend a ton of money. If one thing, the learners are consistent. They, they're not going to spend on a team that is projected to lose 100 games every season to win 75 games. It doesn't make any sense to do that. They're biding their time. They're building up their core roster just as much as they did in, in the mid-2000s, early 2000s. And when the time is right, when the iron is hot, they will strike and they will start spending again. I think this is the best news they could have because a sale wasn't really in the offing not because of the learner's fault or their unwillingness to sell, but because of this cluster of a deal that that Masson has. Yeah, it is a mess. That's a good phone call. So thank Thank you, buddy. I think he, like, I agree with 95% of that. The only thing I would push back on some is I would feel better about this if they were, like, aggressively spending massive amounts of money on the other stuff right now which I don't get that sense. Remember when they restructured a bunch of their front office and mm-hmm. they got rid of some scouts, but then they have other people now that are doing these jobs. And it kind of felt like, wait, there were like 22 people and now there's 16. And I don't, I'm on the outside looking in. I don't know, but it does not feel like they have the biggest R and D department. They have the biggest biomechanics department. To that point, Greg. They have the best pitching lab. And that's where like I was if going. They were doing all of that and saying, we're tanking at the big league level, but we're kicking ass everywhere else. 
cool. You'd I don't be, think that's what they've been doing. You would be funneling that story to whoever would listen. Yes. We, you, you're not seeing it at the major league level, but you know what we're doing that you guys can't see? Look at us. So committed to winning the next generation of national superstars is on the way. Here's We're spending on this thing, this thing, this and thing, and that way, thing. That's where's what that? the Orioles were doing in yeah, a lot of ways. where's that? Now, here's where I give them a ton of credit. They, they hired really, really good people from orgs like Baltimore this offseason, and I think that is going to pay huge dividends. Bill's in North Carolina listening on the Always Free Odyssey app on Grant and Danny. What's up, Bill? Hey, fellas. Good afternoon. Hey, this is a redundancy. I, I complimented you once before, but um, during the business days, um, way back when, I used to have to have the misfortune or fortune of traveling all around the country, and you're about the best in the business. I think you're just top-notch. Well, so you're I, a sweetheart. I've heard them all. Thank so, you very anyways, much, Anyway. I'm flummoxed. I don't know what to say. I I was all in on the trade. They got a ton for Soto, and that had to happen, and they had to clean out the old folks' home. I, you know, I liked all the Howie Kendricks and all the rest of it, but, uh, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? You can't hold them forever. But looking at the uh, the lineup, I mean, the hitting, I, I you could drive a van up to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and, and uh, get nine Amishmen who could do better than this. And they're asking us to accept a lot this year. I mean, I, I was hoping they'd turn on a little bit of juice, maybe get a pitcher to help the guys, you know, before their arms fall off, the Gordon Gray. And, you know, I, I feel sorry for those guys having to, to toe the line here. And I don't know when Cavelli's going to come up, but uh, they'll have three good ones. I was hoping for a fourth, but um, where it gets a little hinky next year, I'm, I'm, I'll accept it. But um, next year, if they don't turn on the juice, then we got a problem. I don't want to totally be, agree. Be, totally yeah, agree with be, you, Bill. Uh, sorry, buddy. We're up you, against buddy. the end of the hour here. So I have to cut you off and I apologize for that. But I actually think this year as a fan will actually be less. When you say they're asking for a lot, I think they're asking for less this year. Here's, here's my argument. You're going to get to see James Wood. Good, bad, and different. The guy they brought over in the Soto deal mm-hmm. who has 40 home run power. You're going to catch glimpses of the future. Dylan Cruz will graduate. He will be there. I think there's a chance Lipscomb or House or both will graduate. You're going to see Cavalli in a, you know, for a major stretch. He pitched once and got hurt. Now you'll see him. So just about every other homestand for the second half of the season, there's going to be a new up-and-coming, young, exciting player. That's better to me than what last year was when they also weren't spending, and it was just kind of the Joey Manessis, Lane Thomas show. Like, those guys are still here, but now instead of Ildemaro Vargas and fill-in-the-blank random old guy, Paolo Espina, you know, it's young, up-and-coming players. So to me, this year is actually going to be a little less heavy lifting and work to be a fan than last year was. But let's categorically lay down the law on this right now. If they don't spend anything next offseason, that will be unforgivable. That will be malpractice. That's when Corbin's off your books. That's when your payroll will drop down because of that to basically the Pirates level. That's when Wood will be on the opening day roster with Cruz. That's when you need to add veteran reinforcements that help you compete. It does those guys no good to be losing 100 games in the big leagues next season or close to it. So, yes, I think they're on the shot clock the moment the season ends, as you said, Danny, mm-hmm. to start making some moves and adding some real talent. Because it's splash time. And fielding a big league roster again. I mean, you can start to compete. Listen, the Braves are a buzzsaw. They're built to, to last, and they're great, right? But the other teams in the division, they're not that far ahead of, of where you will be next year. Let's go around the NFL next and get into the NBA All-Star game, which – drew the ire of just about everybody who watched it. You're listening to The Fan.
and I did come into the weekend, you know, and I knew I was doing the three-point. I was like, I'm going to come to win. You know, I ain't going to come be casual and try to be cool about it. I'm going to try to win it again. And I'm going to come in the All-Star game, my first start. I know I'm going to be on the floor a lot. And, um, you know, I'm a vet in this game at this point. So um, why not try to go go get an MVP, you know, since I've been here enough. And um, I saw the ball start to go in and I did that, but I wouldn't say it was validation. Uh, I would just say it was just a, a something that I put my mind on and I was like, I'm a, you know, that's going to be what, what my intentions are this weekend. And I was able to do it. Damian Lillard, who was flirting with 50 points in an all-star game as the East scored over 200 yesterday. Casually pulling up from half court. I mean, not, not like for fun in a pickup game. Half court, just two times. We're going to put our trunks on, grab some goggles and swim masks. And a swim mask? What's a swim mask? Uh, I meant swim caps. Swim, like a snorkel? Is a swim mask a thing? No. Danny, we once found out, and then he made us, he made it seem like we were the weird ones. What? That he wears a swim shirt and no. and swim shoes you're, you're, no, guy no. at the beach. Wait a minute. You wore. Wait a minute now. Are you about to make me sound like a liar? No. Here's what happened. Okay. Aqua socks, swim shoes, water shoes, whatever you want to call it. Correct. Practical. Outstanding. No problem with that. And? That is correct. I wear them whenever I have them. I need to upgrade my pair, in fact, because sometimes they get the little water gets them. I don't like it. I'm going to get a real pair. I'm like a mid-cut, mid-length. Maybe not even a high top, but like something that's not coming off the water. That's number one. Number two. Swim shirt. It is a sun shirt that I wore when I was sunburned. I burned my skin. I wore a sun shirt. One time, mm. there's a picture of that. That's that. Okay, you make it seem like I'm I'm the the the, the fat kid going in the pool who won't take a shirt off. That's not the case. I, you're not a fat kid. I'm a fat kid, but this is more that than you're leading on. What some people have alleged, some people have alleged this, Mm-mm. is that you weren't burned. This was the start of the trip, and That's you wrong. were wearing a shirt no. when you went in the water. I I walked to the beach, a pale gentleman. That one day I didn't reapply or, you know, it was overcast, whatever it was. I got it. I got the burn. I got the Montgomery Burns. Eric Burns. I put on the swim shirt. Sun, excuse me. Sun shirt. Not a swim shirt. It is a sun shirt. It's a UV protecting sun shirt. Former then Redskins, former then Redskins special teams coach Keith Burns. Keith Burns. Remember that? That was a disappointing run there. Yeah, it didn't go great, did Giving it? Giving up a lot of touchdowns. Uh, let's go around the NFL really quickly, and then we'll get into the all-star game that was so bad over the weekend. I'll start off with the Patriots, Matthew Slater, their special teams ace, retiring. Do you know he's a 10-time Pro Bowler? He played for basically 20 seasons, the entire Patriots dynasty. Belichick said goodbye, and now he will also. I don't think you can make the Hall of Fame just covering punts and being on kickoff coverage. If you can, he'll be the first guy inducted, but I'm not letting him get in until Brian Mitchell gets in, who's number two all-time in yards. 330, uh, 239 games with the Patriots, second in team history behind Tom Brady, 25 career playoff games, ninth most in NFL history. This is one of those, if you're in New England, you love this guy. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, you're like, wait, who's he? But all-time unbelievable cover yeah. special teams up, guy. Up there, it's like Slater, Matthew Slater, legend, bro. Like down here, it's like, who? I mean, some folks have heard of him, obviously, but he, he's like their, their Steve Tasker, like modern-day version. Nelson Aguilar returning to the Ravens on a one-year contract. Aguilar's contract would have voided yesterday at 4 East this weekend. They beat the clock. They're going to pay him $1.68 million. That was what the dead money would have been. He'll get that tacked on to the cash. They're going to pay the 30-year-old now. 
35 catches, 380 yards last year. Their wide receiving core, they, they spent a lot of time and energy and effort on it. Drafted Zay Flowers, 15 million Odom Beckham Jr., which was a mistake. But Aguilar came in. A lot of resources, still just okay, though. Just wasn't good enough. Former first-round pick by the Eagles. You know, he's up to 375 catches in his career. Raiders, Eagles, Patriots, Ravens. New team every year, 1.2 years, it feels like for him. I would have guessed the under on 375 catches. Feels like a, that many drops, maybe, but overall, that's that's a he's carved out a niche for himself. We talked about this when we were last on the air at the end of the week. Jimmy Garoppolo, two-game ban for a violation of the league's substance policy. Sounds like he took a medicine, apparently, that he was not on an NFL-approved list to take, whether that's Adderall mm-hmm. or something else, I'm not sure. Could end up costing him a lot of money because the Raiders might be able to get out of some guarantees in that contract as they're already likely to move on from him anyway. I'm amazed that that happens to multimillionaires, to quarterbacks. I mean, like, for me, I'm not one of those guys. But as a college athlete, I had prescription for ADD medicine because I was ADD before it was cool. And I could barely get that certified by the NCAA, so I pretty much didn't do it. You know what I mean? Like, even just for just play, just to play some baseball, I was on top of it. And it was, like, a scary thing that I might have to pee in a cup one time. I can't imagine how managed these guys are. Everything is laid out there for them for you to, for you to mess that up somehow. It's amazing to me. When I was on the beat, Rob Jackson saved the world once. And he picked, saved the world. Picked off Tony Romo in the Week 17 division clinching win against the Cowboys in 2012. He got a four-game suspension. And the way he described it was like he had this horrible toothache after going to the dentist at one point and getting work done. Mm-hmm. And he took, like, Tylenol 3. I don't even know what that is, but it's some Tylenol, Next level Tylenol extra yeah. stuff. And he popped a, a positive test and missed a quarter of the season. Unreal. And, it, you know, if you take these guys at their word, it, it can be one mistake. It could be two in the morning and mm-hmm. you can't sleep and you're over it. And now you're, you're missing out on, in the case of Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe, a millions of dollars. Wow. The Steelers are apparently internally debating what to do at quarterback. Big report over the weekend, Danny. There is a split in the building. Mitch Trubisky, who they drafted in the first round a couple years ago. Mason Rudolph. They went 4-1 and one down the stretch, remember, with Mason Rudolph at quarterback. They also today were the number one most likely team, according to odds at one sportsbook, to land Russell Wilson in 2024. Here's my prediction. I don't think it's going to be Rudolph. You can cross him off the list. I think Pickett probably starts week one, but I think there's a really good chance. Maybe it's Wilson, maybe it's not. I think they go the veteran route, and I think they go at a quarterback. It's not going to be Cousins or one of the guys at the top of the market, but someone who that they can bring in like a Geno type maybe. And, and they have a starter, a, a bridge guy like that. No, that feels right. I, they feel like that team that just, with Mike Tomlin, now hadn't been there a while, they don't want to do a step back. They should, by the way. It should be kid quarterback time, and maybe you have to wear it for, I don't know, half a season or two seasons or whatever. They don't seem to me with the type of thing, you know what, we, we did the thing with the draft pick, we ain't doing that crap again. Bring me Billy the Bridge. Danny's favorite time of the year, Justin Fields unfollowed the Bears on Instagram. Oh, thank God. And this one gets even better. His dog's Instagram account also unfollowed the Bears. I'm all set. What would have happened if his dog kept following them, but he unfollowed them? Or even worse, if his dog unfollowed them. Did I already say that one? Yeah, I don't know. If he followed them. The point is, when the dog unfollows the team, it's over. I think we all know that. Miss you, Peck. Um, I want these stories to go away forever, but the Bears have said they're on the record. They want to know their plan. No one else is going to know it. But they want to have the basically the, the offseason board set for themselves at quarterback by next week. 
So if they're leaning toward trading the number one pick, they want to know that. If they're leaning toward trading Justin Fields, they want to know that. As part of that story, mm-hmm. Albert Breer of SI did say that at the Senior Bowl last week when they were down in Mobile a couple weeks ago now, they got two different teams that made them offers for Justin Fields. And they weren't shopping him or making calls, but it did give them an idea. First couple offers in. Generally what the market would be. What they might be able to get for him. My guess is they trade him. They keep the number one pick. I've been adamant about this. They're going to draft Caleb Williams. And I would look just me. Let's say let's say I'm a team, right? Who is interested in Justin Fields. One of the conditions is your dog's Instagram account goes away. Let's not have that ever for any reason. Let's just not have that. Let's just not do that, right? It's the dog can't log in. It's you, buddy. It's you or like someone in your family doing it. Can we just acknowledge that? But yeah, I, listen, there, there's, it's all about cost benefit, right? What's the greatest benefit to the Bears? Is it brand new quarterback starting the clock with a second rounder, give or take, I'm making up that market, or a bunch of first rounders, future picks. They've already kind of done that stockpile thing after they made that trade with Carolina last year and keeping Justin Fields. To me, it's probably starting the clock again is one of the most valuable things you can do, but it's not crazy to get a whole bunch of picks for that number one pick and continue to, to, to stock the cupboard and maybe go big game hunting in the offseason. Last story of note in the NFL, Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings trying to beat the clock before he becomes a free agent. According to Pro Football Talk over the weekend, the Vikings are unlikely to give Kirk a fully guaranteed contract. Remember, every single dollar that he has earned since getting his first franchise tag in Washington in 2016 has been a fully guaranteed amount of money in the NFL. So he could hit free agency. I think it's leaning and starting to look like he leaves Minnesota. Uh, My guess is he could just get more elsewhere. Now, if you want to stay on a discount, and that's what I would do if I was Cousins, you could stay with Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson coming back from a torn ACL, an offensive line that was much improved, led by superstar left tackle Christian Derisaw from Virginia Tech. What Brian... Flores did on the defensive side of the ball with their personnel last year was impressive. I think that team's really close. So I would take less and stay there, but he could probably financially do a lot better if he leaves and goes to Atlanta, maybe Vegas. Right. I'm not sure what, where else could he land? I mean, Pittsburgh, I suppose, but I, who knows? Um, I thought, I thought all along he would stay and I'm, I'm, I guess I always miss this, right? Where I was the guy that was yelling at you, dude, Brady's not leaving new England. Are you crazy? Leaves. Peyton Manning is not leaving Indianapolis. Leaves. So maybe it's going to happen. I I don't know. There's no football situation to me better than Minnesota for him right now this minute. I know Detroit's on the rise and Green Bay's not going anywhere, but I don't know. I I just, I see too much in that offense and there's a coach that I like that they seem to get along really well. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's all about your priorities. Where do you want your kids in school? Where do you want to live? What do you want to do? If football's the priority, then I would say in Minnesota, if it's, again, maximizing, making the most money for you and the next generation of quarterback, then by all means move. We're under a month from the start of free agency. Legal tampering is March 11th, which is basically three weeks under that away at this point, which is awesome. Cannot wait for the wildness to ensue. Commanders have the most money to spend of any team in the NFL right now in free agency. So there you go. That'll tide you over little fix on the NFL here on Grant and Danny. Did you watch any of the All-Star game? I did. Caught some. Uh, I had a super busy day. Kids were doing a million different things, a lot of activities. But, yeah, my uh, my oldest actually wanted to watch for a little bit, and he made it three and a half, four minutes of game time and finally said, I, I'm, I'm doing something else. This is boring. So it was bad. I mean, there's no doubt about that. If you tuned in looking for a basketball game, you didn't really get that. The final score, just to give you an idea if you didn't watch it, 
was 211 to 186. The East beat the West in a regulation basketball game. I'll say that again. 211 to 186. Uh, some of the highlights, or lowlights as they were, that are making their way around the internet, Danny, include, now it's awesome when Damian Lillard just pulls up and with his feet on the half-court line, just shoots like an in-rhythm and three-pointer. That was pretty cool. Used to be when someone shot from half-court, they're like doing a soccer throw-in or some crazy, you know, from their ankle shot. Like he just shoots as if he's at the free-throw line from there. An essential thing, by the way. I don't think people quite understand that. There's you, What it used to be is like the old heave where it's like max effort, there's no touch on it. That's just his shot. Yes. That's that's like, are you stepping into a, uh, an elbow jumper? Are you stepping into a shot from the wing? Are you stepping in from half court? It, it was like, it's the same look, which is absurd. But for no reason at all, like, Luca in the middle of one possession, got the ball, you know, deep in his own backcourt, kind of probably about equidistant to the free throw line, but, you know, toward the side of the floor, and just hoists from there, slams a shot off the backboard, there were many instances where players were trying to dunk, whether it was Joker who was trying to do a bit where he dunked uh, or other players, and everyone would just kind of clear out the paint. And then it was just like, let's all stand around and watch this guy go do a cool dunk or a layup or something. I was a little bit surprised by the blowback because it's exactly what I expect when I turn on the game to a greater extent than normal. There was no competitiveness. There was no real competing or competition this was not a game, really, in any way. It was, it's an exhibition. It's a showcase, and there were there was a lot of booing from the crowd, honestly, which I was also surprised by. So I guess the first question we have to ask is, is this a problem? Because the NBA media is pretty upset. I was reading a piece in the Athletic today where all their top writers, you know, guys like Sam Amick and David Aldridge, is going to join us today at five o'clock here on Grant and Danny. You know, they were taking the players to task and talking about basically how little they care about this event. And Do you agree, first and foremost, Danny, that this is bad and or, like, bad enough that they need to get rid of it or do something? Or is it just okay to have an event that is not a game where it's just yeah. a bunch of dudes standing around making trick shots? Whether it is or isn't bad, Right now, your fans, your hardcore coffer fillers, a.k.a. the people that consume their product on a regular basis, are unhappy. So that means it's bad. Does that make sense? Like the people that 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 live this and breathe this and are talking about the NBA on a nightly basis, whereas, you know, I, 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 maybe I was among that number at one point, I'm more casual through Christmas than I kind of turn my attention post-Super Bowl and kind of really start to, to, to get in the grind and get in the rhythm of chasing for the playoffs and, and then the first couple of rounds and then going to the championship I really enjoy. But I'm not the same fan I was before. But I put that as a side for a second. People are pissed off because all the old heads, all the guys like me, do the bit that we always do. I remember back in my day, dot, 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 when, yeah, you know what? It was back and forth for a few quarters. Then it was the starter's turn, and there was a little bit of pride when it was, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the Jordan's group versus Magic's group versus, you know, Isaiah Thomas, uh, his group versus, again, Magic Johnson, whether it was, you know, a lot of the Celtics. There was a whole thing that, where it mattered to those guys at least a little bit. And nobody's asking for, you know, Bill Lambeer-type clotheslines in the lane, but there's a big difference between that and actually playing. You know, this wasn't basketball. This was a, a bastardized version of the N1 mixtape tour presented by Mountain Red Code, uh, Mountain Dew Code Red. Back in the, the mid two thousands, with Skip to My Lou and Company, right? That's not what this is supposed to look like. So it is a problem. I don't know exactly what the solution is. You could you could tell guys to care, 
guys are uh, players are tourists now right. for the most there's, part. There they, is only one way to make players care. Let's not make any uh, comments about this other than there's one way: money. Mm-hmm. That's it. You have to pay them. In fact, David Aldridge, and we'll talk to him at five. I want to ask him about this. But he suggested you get a couple of your main sponsors to throw five million each in. The NBA throws two million into the pot. Each team obviously has twelve All Stars, and then every All Star that wins gets a million bucks. Here's the problem with that: those are not good optics, as you know. Yeah, you're getting the best players in the league. Most of them make a ton of money. Some of them are among the richest people uh, this year in America. You know, whatever in terms of what they're bringing in. And you're now paying them more money to compete. It's just not going to go over that well with fans who are paying unbelievable amounts for tickets. And now the guy that makes $45 million a year is getting another million dollars if he wins the All-Star game. But as Aldridge pointed out in The Athletic today, did people have a huge issue with paying players $500,000 each to win the in-season tournament? I don't remember the, the huge blowback of that. Everyone remembers Tyrese Halliburton being great. Everyone remembers mm-hmm. like LeBron James carrying the Lakers in some of the big moments of the tournament, complained about the courts or whatever. I don't think anybody complained about paying players to win that thing. And maybe they just didn't know that they were making that. That's not new, by the way. Yeah. You, you get a stipend if you win the World Series or you no, know, it's never that big. But basically what they're saying is to make these guys care, you can't pay them a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand. Because there there was money exchanged, I think, in this game this for winning or losing. I know it was 25K to the losers and 100 for the winners or whatever. But the point is, if you want them to really care, you put a million dollars per player on the line and you say, you bring out a, a, a case, a briefcase, and you put it at center court and you say, it's all for this, guys, and you tip off and let's go get WWE it. WWE style, yeah. I, I just I mean, don't know if, if like, that, that won't go over great with fans, maybe. No, but you're right. I, I, they might start playing hard. Well, it, 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 might, it might be an improvement. I mean, the... I, I, the the idea of trying to bring back what should be versus the practical action of trying to deal with what is, I think is always one of these existential debates in sports. In other words, I would love for the guys to give a damn, right? But here's the thing. You go to a city, you sign with a city, and six months later, you're like, I want to be traded to a different city, and you have to deal with this one team because our agents are friends or something. That's the new reality of the league. It's why I'm turned off by it to a degree that I, that I haven't been before. That's not changing. That's not going anywhere. True. With player empowerment, you either have to deal with it or it'd be nice to give them a rah-rah pep talk. Like, hey, could you give a damn like they did in the 90s? That's not happening. So what do we do? I'm willing to try that. It's better than this. I I think there's a few questions we can hit next, and I want to hear from people who watched or didn't but who are basketball or sports fans as it pertains to these All-Star games now. And and we'll zero in on the NBA All-Star game from Sunday. I guess, number one, why has it gotten so bad? That's the first question. Why do you think guys care so little and put so little into it and compete to such a small extent? 800-636-1067. Do you think that's a problem and a big deal? Does this need to be fixed or is it whatever? Just let the people that like it watch it and those that don't shouldn't care. I would get rid of it altogether. And I'm going to tell you what I would do instead of an all-star game. But I would absolutely get rid of the All-Star game. Mm. You know, we crushed the NFL and made fun of that. Does anyone miss the Pro Bowl? Let's be honest. Some people watch the flag thing. Some people don't. Who cares? You know, it's cool that they have it. Players seem to enjoy it. When they don't enjoy doing that anymore, we can get rid of that too. But I don't think continuing to have the All-Star game really makes a whole lot of sense. 
I wouldn't do away with the weekend. I just think you have to find something else to be the grand finale on Sunday, and I've got an idea. But uh, we'll take your thoughts on this next. 800-636-1067 is the number on Grant and Danny. Dame Dollar. Uh oh. What? Oh, oh wow. Uh -oh. That was uh -oh. multiple flat tires. <laughs> that was the motor speedway flat tire. Oh my god. Y'all see this? Y'all see this? Half court. Y'all see Dame this? Lillard. He's Danny. I'm Grant. This is the fan. I'm fired up for my new King George Fox's hat. Tell me this isn't cool. It's a nice looking hat. My buddy Joe, who coaches some baseball in KG, mm -hmm. hooked me with this hat. We're the only school. To my, I think there were two when I was in high school. But now I'm going to say we're the only one. I don't okay. know if that's true or not. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure we're one of the only foxes in America as a mascot. You ever heard of another foxes? Never. Not once. Yeah. So I'm going so to say pretty definitively, that's it. There's one. It's a, kind of a cool mascot. The foxes. I think. You know what it looks like? I It looks like an old-timey. Ball cap from the 1930s. Like, it's like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, Stumps McLaughlin and and right-hand Magoo, but he's lefty. Everybody, you know what I mean? But everyone's name is lefty also. Right. There's three lefties and three red. There's four lefties and seven reds. Why was everyone named red back then? Any If you had any slight tinge that wasn't, like, dirt black hair, like oh, dark hair. Is that what it was based on yeah, your hair color? I think if anybody has the slightest, like, you'd have been red. Like, there's a little bit no, in your beard. Stop. You're a red. Red pulse uh, right no, there. I, that, what color's your sweatshirt? I've never been more angry. Um, I mean, I have a red hoodie on. There it is. The cap hoodie. Red pulse. But I do. If I grow out my uh, beard. There's a tinge. Beyond like a three guard probably. Yeah. I get a little bit of a Auburn, like a red facial look. Yeah, like your, your Cam Newton Heisman campaign there. It's not, it's not like red. You think of red. It's, like a, it's a little tinge. It's a little. It's like an autumn leaves. Uh, is there a problem with the NBA All-Star game being bad or can we allow it to continue to be bad? Should they get rid of it? So before we get to the phones, here's what I want to do. I want to get rid of the All-Star game. I don't think it serves a purpose. I, I love the idea of U.S. against the world. I think that's the best way forward. The problem, Danny, is there's not enough players from around the world. Like the starting lineup might actually beat the American starting lineup. Yeah. But then the depth isn't there. So you'd need 12 players from outside the States, 12 Americans. And if you do it that way, it changes who deserves to get in. You know, the historically speaking, mm -hmm. like... If you're the 11th guy in for the world team, they're just trying to fill out the roster at that point. You're not really an all-star. So I don't think you could do that, although that would be my favorite way to kind of just play an actual game. What I think you have to do is take a page out of hockey's book. I think first things first, you, on Sunday, so Saturday is the dunk contest, the three-point contest with the best dunkers, the best three-point shooters, you know, all the skills stuff. As we've been doing it, with the the elite of the elite in the NBA taking part in that. That's number one. Number two, on Sunday, I think you do those things again as part of the buildup. You have another three-point, another uh, dunk contest with only All-Stars. So if you're one of the 24 All-Stars, you have to opt into one of the things that takes place on Sunday. Hmm. That could be a, a, a obstacle course challenge with the basketball. That could be the three-point. That could be the dunk. That could be a half-court showdown against the WNBA. That could be a two-on-two shoot-off against Caitlin Clark and Sabrina Ionescu. Like, whatever the, the rundown that day is, it's all all-stars competing in it rather than just, with all due respect, to Mac McClung or some other guys 
dudes that are willing to say yes. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. But the other thing I think to culminate the weekend on Sunday, I think you do like a a three on three tournament with some of the biggest stars Damn, in the that NBA. That was my idea. And, and you, or, or it could even honestly be two on two. But you you do some kind of quick something that can get done in an hour. You play five minutes of basketball. You play to eleven or whatever. And however you decide which fifteen players and five teams are competing or whatever the number is, I think that culminates it. We're not playing defense anyway. We're playing the winner gets X number of dollars or whatever. It's two on two. It's three on three hockey style. But we're we're not having this game because you guys don't care, so we don't care, and it, it's just stupid to watch. So give me a attorney. Three-on-three feels perfect, but two-on-two, whatever. And then give me the skills challenge again. But now the three-point contest is all the guys that are all-stars. The dunk contest is all all all-stars. I think that is a better Sunday than what they currently have. Yeah, I'm with, I, I love the the shakeup. So, to me, having everybody do the, the thing I'm about to suggest would take too long. So, I don't know how to, you know, shrink it down to a more manageable TV product. But I'd love to see a bunch of guys go one-on-one. I want to see Shea Gilgis-Alexander go against Tyrese Halliburton. That'd be cool. First one to seven, go. I want to see, you know, uh, Embiid and Jokic go at each other. Look, you have to have somebody that would pick the matchups and then make the guys want to do it. Yeah. You know, the the give-a-damn opt-in part is the hardest part. I actually think also, like, whether it's the one-on-one thing where you would just have everyone line up and someone calls somebody out. Like, I want to play him. I think that'd be badass. Or for my two-on-two, three-on-three tourney, I think what would be cool is we don't know who's on whose teams. So we know who the 24 All-Stars are. They get together in the locker rooms, behind the scenes or whatever. You know how, like, super teams are built via texts and whatever? Yeah. Like the House we, in the Hamptons that time <laughs> for the Heat. We yeah. just find out, like, Joker, uh, Luca, and, you know, LeBron come out, and that's the three. And, and then, you know, there's another three that they take on. But we don't know who's on whose teams until they basically pick their teams. Or you could have a captain like they did for the All-Star game and pick the teams. I just... I can comfortably say the All-Star game has nothing for me at this point. I'm I'm good on it. And I also, I don't have a problem with paying a million dollars to each player on the winning squad, putting together 12 million bucks or whatever. It's not my money. I just, A, I don't think that fixes all the problems. I think it'd be better, but doesn't fix the problems. And B, I don't think basketball fans are going to, that's not going to resonate. Yeah, I used to get in arguments with with friends, like, which conference is better, East or West? So, well, the West has these guys, but the East has this group. And the, most of the Celtics, and you add in the Pistons, that team would win. Like, they used to, ma- it doesn't matter at all now. They don't care. They don't care. Let's go to Jared in Rockville. What's up, Jared? Hey, Danny. Hey, Red. Hey, uh, that's a good bet. <laughs> You're dead right. He would, he would absolutely be a Red. Back oh, then. Not on. now. Back then, my when wife, everyone was Red. My wife's not going to let me come home tonight. at a bunch of different angles. I think we're a little jaded by this year because it was such a blowout where I feel like in years past, it has been close in the fourth quarter and they've actually played some good basketball. So, just looking back at the history, like it's generally a five to eight point game entering the fourth quarter where they then they they play some basketball. My, My annoyance right now is if I want a sports bet on it, it's hard to do. Like, I looked on Sunday just at the odds, and I saw the East team was plus money. And I was like, these things are so up in the air. Sure, I'll put money on the East. Whereas, if I, like, I feel like I couldn't have any insight as to why I should bet this. <laughs> right. Do I bet the over? Do I bet the under? Because you're right, it is so up in the air. So, it's, so it's a, it can be a good look. It can be a bad look. 
I'm not sure what the solution is. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't be betting on those anytime soon. To your point, there's no rhyme or reason, and there's just not enough effort or care from the players for it to be predictable in any way. Although I think I would always probably take the over uh, if I was going Hard to, to get me out of that. To bet yeah. something. Uh, Andreas in Rockville's on G&D. We're playing in Rockville today. What's up, buddy? What's up, guys? Uh, Danny, you got a great Scottish accent, by the way. Thank you very much. I, I visited and I perfected it by listening to locals. Would you like some gravy on your potatoes? I'm like, what? Why are you? Why are you speaking so sternly to me? Like, even when they're really nice, by the way, it sounds like we're quite upset with you. I'm like, no, you're not. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Go ahead. So, dude. Um, so NBA and basketball in general is unique in one way, and that's that playing one on one is just as good or as fun, and can tell about the skill about a player just as much as playing five on five. And so the one-on-one tournament is the way to go. They can have pool play on Friday or Saturday night and then come out with four, like like a semifinals on Sunday, um, play up to seven or nine or whatever it is. But that's the best way to get the real skill, see what these guys really can do one-on-one. Um, you know, I think about guys like Kyrie going against a LeBron or Luka going against Durant. Uh, even a Jokic versus Steph Curry the mismatch would create such an intriguing matchup for everybody to watch and see, you know, who, who really has the skills um, to elevate above all the other players. And for my money, I think Durant would still probably win. I think but... Steph probably. And even just having this back and forth mm-hmm. is indicative of some interest, right? I think it makes sense. I think it's a cool idea. I'd certainly rather watch that than the product we got on Sunday. <clears throat> I still... To me, two-on-two or three-on-three would be better than one-on-one. You're just incorporating more stars, and you still get the one-on-one game, I think, because you're just D-ing somebody Elements of it, yeah, right, right. But with another couple guys on the Because the whole point is you want those matchups, right? The last two MVPs, I just keep picking Jokic and Embiid, but you want those to see those guys go at it. You want to see Giannis going up against uh, Luka. Those kind of things are cool. Michael Alexandria, what's up? Hey, what's going on, fellas? How y'all doing today? Good, buddy. Chilling, bro. Um, so I was thinking, first of all, I think that two on two and three on three would be a lot more entertaining than the current all-star format. The all-star game the last couple years has been trash in my opinion. Uh, not just the game, but the competition on Saturday as well. But if they play for something on Sunday, how about like the winner of the East West game, that conference gets home court advantage in the finals rather than seeding. So now they have an incentive to play for because I think Grant, you mentioned it earlier, like 25,000 went to the loser, 100 went to the winner. I think that was for charity purposes, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But um, if they're they're playing for something to play for, because majority of these players that are in the all-star game, they're already in either the playoff race or in contention to be in the race. A lot of them are. Thanks for the call. MLB obviously did that for years. They they did away with it because – it's an exhibition, and then that was on the line, and all these guys would opt out, and you'd have non-all-stars playing for World Series, home field advantage, and it, it ended up not working. But for a few years, the, the problem was, and it's by far the best all-star game after a tie, they wanted to change the perception that it didn't count. And so their slogan was, this time it counts, and then this time it still counts, and this time it counts again. And they, it sort of counts, kind they of. They did that for a bunch of years. Um, look, anything that they would do to make the guys care is probably – Better, I guess the question is, is there a fix? Or is it worth saving? Is it worth fixing? I mean, there, there was a time where the All-Star game was awesome. 
that time is probably gone. There's one all-star game that's really good every year. It's baseballs because you can't really half play baseball. You know what I mean? You're, yeah. not, you're not throwing the ball 47 instead of 92. No, you're not half swinging. It's just a game with the best players. It's awesome. But that's not the case in most sports. 800-636-1067. We'll try to squeeze in a double play next as well. Remember, we got Caps tickets for you in 20 minutes at 4 o'clock right here on The Fan. G&D on the fan. We'll give you a double play in just a moment. It's going to be a good one, by the way. Nobody in this room right now knows what our double play is. I'm just going to tell you it oh. will involve Ryan Clary. Oh, man. It's not anything that you guys are prepared for. And I think it's going to be good. I'm excited about it. I came up with the idea this week. Oh, good for you. So We'll do that, uh, let's say, in three minutes right here on Grant and Danny. But let's put a bow on our all-star game conversation. People were livid about the NBA festivities on Sunday 200 points scored, no defense at all by the East, uh, winning the game. So the question is, Charles is in Fairfax, is this game worth saving, or should we just let it be what it is and, and not worry about it? Well, hey, Josh, love your show. Thank you, buddy. Uh, first-time caller. Oh, hey, that's look, awesome. Uh, guys, I'm, a, I'm a bit old school with this here, right? So I've seen everything. You can't stop these guys from being selfish. You have to basically hit them where the money is. I say cancel it. I say not try it again. I say the fans have to stop showing their interest. That's the only way things are going to change. We live in a society today where money simply motivates people, not fans. But would your, would your end game be to get them back to what you and I grew up with, or is it just the end game is what? Like, what do you hope to – in other words, what do you want to change by not caring about it? Well, I think you should bring international players in. I think you should even bring women in. I think women can put a pressure on a men that literally will kind of wake them up as well. I mean, just like we have the three-point shooting that happened this Saturday, at the end of the day, it takes pressure. I don't know what the pressure points are, but I say change it to a level where it's noticeable. I mean, the women play hard. The women give their fans what they want. Yeah, I think you could do Curry versus Ionescu as an example was actually really good and really competitive. It was great television. I think you could do that in some of those individual skills competitions. I'm not sure if you, you know, play the WNBA stars versus the NBA stars if if it works out the same or is worth trying. I, I don't know. I like the idea of showcasing the women's game. I certainly think that that was the highlight of the whole weekend and do more of it. I want to see Caitlin Clark next year go head to head with Curry and maybe it's you know Dame versus right. Uh, INSQ or something. Well, that's what I, mean, I want. I want Caitlin Clark to walk out and go, I challenge you, yes. Dame Lillard. Or like the top you know? five ball handlers in the WNBA yeah. do an obstacle course timed or whatever against the top five in the NBA. I think that would be actually really cool. I think that's a good idea for sure. Robert's in Dallas. What's up, Robert? What's happening, guys? Hey, buddy. Good to catch up, man. Hey, you know, um, I, all these ideas are good. Here's the problem, and this is a problem David Stern didn't have to face and Adam Silver does. Man, you can't make people have pride, and you can't make people be competitive. And, you know, I hate to be the back-in-the-day guy, but, man, you go look at some of those all-star games. Shaquille O'Neal could not wait to take it to yep. uh, David Robinson. And totally. Jordan couldn't wait to take it to the Kembo. It was, I mean, Isaiah Magic. These guys were friends, but when they got on that court – 
it's all business. It's just the way that it is now. And, I mean, I, look, I'm an older guy. I'm 51. I came up and I was spoiled with all these guys that were great. You know, I, it wasn't too long ago I saw this video of Tracy McGrady and Kobe, and they, the guy was joking around with them about them playing one-on-one, and Tracy was like, yeah, we didn't keep score. Dude, Kobe stopped the interview. was like, who didn't keep score? Like, he stopped the interview <laughs> yes. to make it known, dude, we didn't, I didn't just play you for fun. I played to beat you. Those days are long gone, man. Now totally. we're in the days of the banana boat, Instagrams, people <laughs> joining up with each other, people. I mean, these dudes talk to each other after a game as if they ain't seen each other in eight years. It's just a different, <laughs> it's just a different time. A Everybody's chummy. So look, so true. And maybe I'm just old. And maybe I'm just like it's not. It's not. It happened to all of us, fine. dude. No, you know what? It's it's totally it, correct. It's by not the way. for Robert. Right. It's not for you. I don't think it's for me. Maybe if you're a kid, you love it. You know, maybe if you're one of these guys who likes players from 11 different teams, mm-hmm. don't really have a favorite team. You got a bunch of jerseys in your closet. Like just, all the kids in my son's league love Steph yeah. Curry. They just want to see Steph Curry do stuff. Maybe, I get it. Maybe they're in, and maybe it isn't as big of a problem. Um, I, I like that call though. Uh, all right, it is time for our double play. What's going on in our lives? Nothing to do with sports. Here's the challenge. Give me some game show music. Yesterday was President's Day. Oh. How many presidents of the United States can Ryan name? On the spot right now. Over, under, what are we setting it at, Danny? 19 and a half. Okay. I mean, there, there's been almost 50. I'm gonna get I'm gonna hope he goes over that. Uh, I'm going to say if he gets over 23, I'll be happy. Darius, how many do you think he gets? Uh, 19 and a half. Is so I'm going to go with I'm going to go with 21. He's going to get 21. Low number. Yeah. All right, Ryan, you may begin. All right, we're going to go Biden. Hold on. Let me get my bell. Where's my bell? Danny, do you see my bell? I do not see he, you're saved by the. He's, someone really? Somebody moved that? Look, is it underneath the I'll football helmet that's here for some reason? No. The other football helmet. No. Uh, all right. No. Underneath your deodorant we'll there? Give him credit. There's one. One. All right. Biden. Trump. Obama. Uh, Bush. Reverse order. I like it. Clinton. Bush. Reagan. Nixon. Uh, what is that? Eight? That's eight. eight. All right. George Washington. They're skipping a little bit. Skip around there. <laughs> John Adams. Ten. Abraham Lincoln. Eleven. Herbert Hoover. 12. Um, um, mm-hmm. Ah, geez. Yep. FDR. I, what, what's Franklin this? D. Roosevelt. Okay. We'll take it. Um, did I say Eisenhower already? You didn't. Eisenhower. Boom. What's his first name? Um, Dwight Eisenhower. Yep. We'll take yep. that. Full yeah. names, please. 14. Um, um, Thomas Jefferson. Boom. 15. Look at this. Um, what else? What else here? I'm missing some people. A few, yeah. 31-ish. 15. I'm at 15. You are at 15. All right. Uh, did I say John Adams? You did. I did. Dang it. He's a good one. Um, ah. Did I say Abraham Lincoln? You did. I did. Yep. <laughs> 15. Mm. Maybe 19 15. and a half was a good number. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is tough. Hmm. Theodore Roosevelt. Hey, here we go. 16. Theodore Roosevelt. Oh um, boy. We got. He's literally thinking run, running presidents right now. Yep, yeah. yep. That's true. <laughs> You're out of those guys. Yep. Um, oh, man. This is tough. Oh. Mm. Yeah. This is tough. Yeah. Um, 16? Yeah, 16. That's not a great number. 
Oh man. I'm I'm drawing a blank you, you right got, now. You got 20 seconds before the clock runs out and you can reset it by getting one. Oh, 20 seconds before it's I, over. I, I This is tough. I'm just running through names right now. Oh, Bill Clinton. Already said. Really? Yeah. Are you sure? Yep. Oh man. What's his name? Grant. Well, who's Grant? Uh Grant. Oh my god. Paulson? Grant. No. No. Oof. Come on. I didn't Grant. help him. I, I thought that was a gateway name. drug there. Grant. Ulysses S. Grant. Hey, here we go. 17. Right, Ulysses S. Grant. With two seconds to spare. All right. All right. Ulysses 20 seconds Grant. on the board. I have 17. Yeah. You do. All right. Um, mm. Did I say Hamilton? You didn't. Hamilton. But he's also not a president, I don't think. Oh, President Taft. Hamilton wasn't a president. Really? Taft was. Yeah. You got Taft. Taft. 18. Uh, That's 18. You say his full name, Danny. Whoa, 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 whoa. We've, we've, this has been the rule since yeah. the beginning. What's uh, Taft's name? Ah, uh, Harrison Taft? No. That's no. not. Damn it. William Taft. William Taft. Yeah. 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 All right, we got there. Right. 18. We got it. We got 18. Yeah. All right. Um, he keeps resetting the clock, right? Is he's, it's so about he's so close. He's so close. Jeez. Get that 19 By to the way, 20, 19 bro. 19 and a half. Look at you, Vegas over I'm here. All, yeah. Don't think so I don't know what I'm doing. This is tough. This is so tough. This is a sweat. This is a sweat. <laughs> oh, I need. Mm. No, it's not. No, I'm thinking through some names right now. I keep on thinking Alexander Graham Bell, but no, he invented the phone. He did invent the phone. But did um, he do that in the Oval Office? No. Nope. Okay. Nope, he didn't. Ah. Uh, oh, geez. Six seconds. Got to reset the clock. Ah, uh, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, Cleveland. President Cleveland. What's his first name? Oh, come on. Come on. That was like way back in the day. It sure was. It was like 1812. He was actually president twice, by the way. Sure. Uh, I don't know the first name. Grover. And Grover. that is the end of the clock. 18. We call that 18 or 19? Uh, it's 18 and a half. 18 and a half, I, I guess, is the last come name. On. All right. Not bad, Ryan. Not too yeah. shabby. Hey, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, happy, the, the, happy President's Day, everybody. Yeah, the obscure ones like like Polk and Tyler, like nobody remembers those. Like yeah. on under pressure when you're when you're thinking did he about get it. Harry Truman? He did not. That's why I tried to give him the. Dude, just think of my kids, man. McKinley, I, Truman, I know. Reagan. I know. I, I didn't think of that. If I would have, then I would have known. You would have knocked a couple more out of the park. <laughs> I would have knocked a couple. Could have gotten to twenty. In. I was thinking about that yesterday at home. I was like, I cannot wait to do this tomorrow. I just want to see how many he can name. I love it. Grant and Danny on the fan. We're giving away Caps tickets. Top of the hour. We're going blitzing as well. Thank you, Earl, for the update. Welcome back to G&D. Kick off your future with the law firm of Kondorian Murad, the official Grant and Danny show sponsor. They're going to help protect your assets, update your will and trust. Schedule a free estate planning strategy with one of their Fairfax-based attorneys. Visit kmlawyers.com and mention the show to get a discount. kmlawyers.com. Those guys are awesome. Dudes. They are really, really cool dudes. Got a chance to hang out with them an extended time at the uh, – 
106.7 The Fan versus 106.7 The Fan HD2 event a couple Fridays ago, which was a blast on stilts. That's a troll for Chris Russell in case he's listening in the hallway. But uh, that was a lot of fun, man. Good, good to hang out with those guys. Good dudes. Uh, congrats right now, as promised. Caller 10 at 800-636-1067. You're winning two tickets. That's such a good day. <laughs> you like that, man? To the Washington Capitals. Sunday, March 3rd at Capital One Arena versus Arizona. Tickets are on sale now. For tickets and more event information, go to thefandc.com slash events, courtesy of Monumental Sports. It is time for our Blitz, so let's get it popping. We begin on the ice with the Caps, who are taking on the New Jersey Devils tonight, and they are looking to get a critical two points. John, look, make no bones about it. This team has not played as well over the last couple of weeks as we were hoping but they're showing some signs of turning a corner here. What do we think going into tonight's game against the team four points ahead of them in the standings? Well, they scored some goals in Montreal, and even though you were playing a team that is outside the playoff picture, you were doing it in their building, hostile environment, Saturday night, hockey night in Canada, and they found a way, so that's good. But we have said for weeks now they've got to start stringing wins together if they want to make a run for the eight spot. As play starts tonight, they're eight points back of the eight spot, which is currently held by Detroit. New Jersey is sitting in between them. This is the last time they will see the Devils this season here tonight. they got to win, guys, and they've got to do it in regulation. There are no half measures anymore. If you fancy yourself a team that can play in the postseason – you have to win this game tonight, period. Uh, because if you don't, now you're looking at potential double digits back. You're going to sell at the deadline. I mean, you just you cannot give up any more ground. And I think that the vibe around the team has been pretty good. I think they're scoring goals. Charlie Lindgren's going to get the start tonight. Uh, he's played, you know, obviously very well this season. Uh, but against a team that loves to score off the rush, and without Martin Farivari, there's certainly a lot of challenges to this one tonight, too. Yeah, so, John, I mean, every team got the benefit of it, but do you think this group maybe benefited a little bit extra from that all-star break, having a little bit of time away as a, as a, as a battery recharge? Yeah, I think a guy, Danny, like Connor McMichael did, I think he's really taken a heart. He's got to use his skating ability. He's just such a tremendous swift skater. Uh, and Spencer's made mention to us that that's a message that he's been told and we've really seen it, and he's been able to break through and finally break a long goal drought, too. So you hope that that line has more to give. Alexei Protus, an even longer goal drought. He broke that on Saturday night in Montreal. So uh, to be able to see those guys alongside Anthony Manta, who's been really good this season, and really I think one of the biggest success stories for Spencer Carberry this season is getting his career turned around. He wasn't very good the last couple of years in terms of scoring goals. He's been really good this year. So uh, I think between those three, that's a source for offense. Dylan Strom dishing the puck to Alex Ovechkin. That's worked since the break, too. So, yeah, I think, you know, getting recharged and getting ready to go down the stretch here so far, uh, you know, the wins haven't been there every night, but we have at least seen, as you said, there are some signs that things are starting to get better. Charlie Lindgren between the pipes tonight, 265 goals against, 913 save percentage. He has been the best goaltender on the team this season, so that should give you a chance. Caps 2-6-2 and two in their last 10, 2-2-1 two, two and one in their last five. Uh, digging into the game notes today that the team puts out, one thing that stood out to me, the Devils have the number two road power play in the National Hockey League, about 28 and change percent. Uh, so that's a key for me is just staying out of the box. What else going into this game do you notice? Yeah, I mean, the Devils are a team that score off the rush. And, you know, the power play is lethal. Jack Hughes is one of the most dynamic young players in the game. 
And in talking with Spencer Carberry for the show tonight, uh, and he said, look, nobody scores off the rush better than this team does. There are a lot of teams that do it well, but that's their bread and butter. So you have to slow down the game. You've got to play a little bit more methodical. You can't run and gun. I mean, the Caps really can't run and gun with anybody mm-hmm. right now. They win three to two games. That's how they win. Uh, but if you start getting into a track meet with these guys, they will embarrass you. And Jack Hughes is going to be the guy uh, more often than not that does that. They're pretty dynamic from the back end. Ex-cap, uh, Jonas Siegenthaler is going to get back in. He missed 17 games. Uh, we hear that he's getting back in tonight. It makes him a little tougher on defense, too. Take advantage of your opportunities and defense first. To your point, stay out of the box. And you're fewer, as good as a penalty kill has been, I think by and large this season it's been pretty good for Washington. But you do not want to depend on that against a team like the Devils and just be ready that they're going to be coming at you. And even without Martin Farivari tonight, that's going to be maybe a little bit bigger challenge too. John, thank you as always, buddy. Have a great call. Thanks fellas. See ya. We'll see you buddy. Hit that NFL sounder, Darius. GP right now, everybody's pretty much staring at the Chicago bears. They pretty much hold all the keys to what happens, whether it's with the first pick, whether it's with Justin Fields, I feel like they're sort of the, igniter of the offseason whenever they make a move and and they're going to probably try to do that it sounds like before the draft within the next week or so they're going to finalize their plan whatever that is whether they put it in action or not I'm sure that'll leak out but everyone's kind of looking at them with what they're going to do what do you think yeah and as of right now at least from what they're telling people they're not sure they want to know by next week according to the reports this weekend which direction they plan on going in I think they put that out there for a reason they want offers to start coming in And maybe you're not going to find out exactly what you're going to get for the number one overall pick in Caleb Williams, but you're going to find out certainly what teams are willing to offer for Justin Fields. I think they're going to do pretty well for Fields, honestly. What do you think the market's going to be? I mean, I'm always surprised. They're definitely going to get a two, Mm -hmm. and I would guess they'll get a second pick that's you know at least a a four. Maybe it's as good as a three. That that seems a little rich for me. Two and a sweetener? Yeah, two and a a second mid-round pick, I think, for Fields. Is pretty good value for a guy you're deciding you're moving on from anyway. You're getting better at the position he plays, theoretically. Certainly higher ceiling prospect in Caleb Williams coming in. So I think they flip him. Look, there are teams that want to dabble into that veteran quarterback market. And he's still cheap for right now. Mm-hmm. If you're not sure if you're paying him, among the clubs that could be interested, like the, the Vikings, if Kirk Cousins moves on, you could draft someone mid-late first, trade back, take someone outside of the top ten, you could have Fields be your starter at the beginning of the year as a bridge. Teams like Pittsburgh debating between Trubisky and Pickett. Uh, Kenny Pickett. Like, could Justin Fields be of interest there? I still think Atlanta would make a ton of sense if Cousins doesn't end up going there. Those are the types of teams that are probably going to come forward. And if you're getting a starter for potentially a couple seasons, if you're willing to use a franchise tag, maybe even keep him around longer, I don't know why you wouldn't give up a two if you're sold on fields as a dual threat. Because what you're balancing is the obviously this year's quarterback prospect class and what you'd have to give up to get one of those, assuming you're not one of these top three teams who's probably not in the market to trade for Justin Fields. Then you kind of go, do we want that identity? And by the way, that's not crazy to want that. If you want to go all in and be a Ravens with Lamar Jackson type offense, this guy ran for over 1,000 yards when they finally just let him go. Right? They were trying to do this drop back a bunch, pat the football, throw to Cole Komet sometimes or Darnell Mooney or somebody that inadequate personnel. And they finally went, you know what? Screw it. Let this kid, who's one of the best runners at the quarterback position in history, go crazy. Ran for over 1,000 yards, had like eight touchdowns and basically two-thirds of a season once they turned him loose as a runner. There's value in that, having a quarterback that can make those kinds of plays if everything's tailored that way. I wonder where Russell Wilson's going to end up. 
It seems like a foregone conclusion. We talked about this last week. He's not going back to Denver. They didn't bench him at the end of the year to keep him from getting hurt and, and kicking in one of his you know, roster escalators to not immediately move on from him this offseason. So whether they cut him and take a gigantic bath financially or whether they try to find a trade partner, which I think is an impossibility, the nine-time Pro Bowler, former Super Bowl champion, former Walter Payton Man of the Year, is going to be available. And he's one of the biggest stars in football over the last decade. Now, mm-hmm. everybody knows he is not the guy he once was. I mean, there was a time where he led the NFL in touchdown passes. There were years where he was throwing 40 touchdowns. Last year, 16 touchdowns in 15 games. This past season was a lot better under Sean Payton. Denver went from 4-11 and to 7-8 and with Wilson at the helm. 26 touchdowns and eight picks. It was kind of that Indianapolis Colts, Carson Wetz game managing type season. If you don't have to pay him huge money, and assuming he gets cut, you won't. It'll be um, a discounted rate from his prime. My guess is there will be a decent market for Russell Wilson. Because we're talking about like the the middle-class quarterback money. He's going to get one of those Daniel Jones, probably Geno Smith, rich kind of contracts. It's still a star power type move, right? Where it, it, last year was, was, wasn't was good by any stretch of the imagination, but also wasn't a disaster. It wasn't bottom falling out. This guy can't even tie his own shoe. As you said, almost 4,000 yards and 15 starts, 26 touchdowns, eight picks. Very little dynamic anymore. He's not making those special plays, but he's also not, again, so horrendous that he can't even get out of bed in the morning. Thank God that when Rivera and the Marty Party tried to trade three number ones for we Russell really did, Wilson. okay. The Seahawks said no. Let's talk commanders. Our buddy Michael Phillips, Odyssey in Richmond. Michael, last time I saw you, we were taking a peek at our guy Carrot Top. He did not look good. Is he still alive? Have we checked in on him? I texted um, you the other night. I said, <laughs> best of my knowledge, Carrot Top is still alive. I mean that that he was on the roids for a while, like he got really big, and I, I like somebody like popped pun, punched a needle in him. It was shriveled right back up. Doesn't look good. It's not great with Carrot Top right yeah, now, Danny. It's not. My guy's still doing shows like six nights he, a week, though, Philly. Yeah, he, he, he keeps it fresh too. He he was on my show last uh, from uh, from Radio Row, and he, uh, he he brought his own Super Bowl material. He had fresh stick. What what was his Super Bowl material? Was it good? He, he goes, um, man, you know, it, it's crazy. There's going to be eighty thousand people there on, on Sunday at the stadium, and only one usher. Pretty good zing that by is, Carrot Top. Uh, that is that 40, is Carrot Top's style. Forty dollars at the Tropicana. <laughs> I Let's suppose. go. <laughs> Line forms here, uh, Miguel. As this dust has settled here on the Washington coaching staff, this was kind of the appeal of Dan Quinn, or at least kind of what was leaked out was. You guys may think he's a retread and a little bit boring and a defensive coach, and that's a challenge. But wait till you see the staff. I gotta say, I'm taking it back. I, I'm pretty damn impressed. It's a very, it's a great staff. Lots of head coaching experience. Uh, certainly a lot of guys who know ball, who can teach ball. And, uh, you know, as you've heard at the press conferences and will hear out of tomorrow's press conferences, a, a very impressive, accomplished group. Yeah, for me, that doesn't uh, negate what I would call the big picture things here, which, which are I don't know that you're building in the right direction to the future of the NFL. But in, in the small picture, like, will Benjamin St. Juice get better next year? Like, Will guys on the team play better? Uh, I think indisputably the answer is yes. This is a really good staff. Michael, we're going to play the audio of Rick Spielman in just a couple of minutes. He helped hire the GM and the head coach here 
in Washington, and he was asked what he thinks about the number two overall pick. I'm curious uh, how much you think his take matters, I guess, number one, as a former GM who was talking about that pick, presumably, with both of the candidates turned higher ease. Yeah, I think his opinion is to be respected in football circles. I will say he is like Mr. Caleb Williams. He's a big Caleb Williams stan. I don't know that I'm following him like all the way to the edge of that bridge. I don't know if you've heard that clip. Uh, I don't think he will be a major voice in who they pick. Um, I think his job was to go get Adam Peters, and, and he went and got Adam Peters. Uh, I think Adam Peters will be the primary voice on who they take or, or don't take or, or do whatever they do with it. Number two, uh, that said, obviously his philosophy was a guiding foundational pillar of the search and he's got Josh Harris's ear. So when, when he talks, I think it's important. Uh, I don't though. I don't think I would run it to the bank as though anything he says is reflective of what the Washington commanders are going to do when they turn in the card. Miguel, have you caught a lot of the, I, th- I think there's a very strong, I don't know how large it is. I think it's tough to quantify. But percentage of the fan base, I hear from them all the time, because they were raised with the Hogs in the 80s and run the dang ball and three quarterbacks and 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 whatever, and they've been so scarred by everyone from Heath Shrewell to Robert Griffin and everything in between, they are a team trade back. They, they can't handle the idea of trying to tra- uh, grab, grab a quarterback up high, either trade back and let Howell go with the new staff or trade back and pick up one of these lesser quarterbacks and sort of trust the process kind of guys. Have you encountered a lot of that? What do you say to them? Yeah, and what's interesting is that not only that, uh, Ben Standig, our guy, ran a poll the other day on Twitter. A lot of people participated in said, who do you want at number two? I think 11% of people said they wanted Marvin Harrison Jr. I'm not here to tell you Marvin Harrison Jr. isn't a great player. He is. He's going to be really good in the NFL. That's malpractice if you turn in the pick at number two and it's a wide receiver and not a quarterback. Uh, So, you know, there's always going to be those parts of the fan base. The other thing for me is, I, I am at war between two things. One is I am team trade back almost all the time, almost always. Statistically speaking, you're better off trading back than you are turning in a pick at any time in the draft. The exception might be you, when a great quarterback is available for you and a, and a great quarterback is going to be available for you, whether you're picking one, two, or three this year. Uh, and, and I think that negates my enthusiasm for that somewhat. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is you talk to Adam Peters, right? And people say, oh, his experience with Trey Lance has left him scarred on picking quarterbacks or, or whatever it is. I don't think that's it at all because their, their thought process in taking Trey Lance was not this guy can't miss. Their thought process was, look, we're about to start rolling off 10 win seasons. We're never going to be able to sniff the, the a top three pick again. We need to take our chances now while we can get one and try for one of these franchise quarterbacks. Sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. And that's true this year as well. But if this goes correctly, if, if Dan Quinn coaches him up, if Adam Peters picks the guys, we're not going to be talking about top three picks again. That, that's a really compelling reason to take a shot and try to get one of these guys because life gets a lot easier if you have one. Michael, thank you, buddy. Good catching up as always. Absolutely. See you, bud. That is your Beltway Blitz on Grant and Danny. So Rick Spielman, he is the longtime executive, former Vikings GM, who was on the panel that helped hire Adam Peters and Dan Quinn. He was in on both searches. He was asked, as he's back now to his media role, who would he take second overall? I think his answer is worth listening to as someone who was chopping it up with Washington's brass and helping to decide who were the best football people of the lot. Presumably the the top pick came up. 
Uh, that's next on Grant and Danny. Rick Spielman works for the 33rd team and is a contributor to a bevy of outlets, providing an expertise as a former GM. This offseason, he took a break from all of his work so that he could work for the commanders so that he could help them <laughs> pick their GM and their head coach. They landed on Adam Peters, which we're happy about. Dan Quinn, who just put together a really quality coaching staff. And now he's back to working. And the number two overall pick came up. And this is what Spielman said when he was on a PFF broadcast about who he's got behind Caleb Williams, who's distantly his number one quarterback, it sounds like. Yeah, I like Drake May a lot. Uh, I had the ability and uh, to watch him play live down in Miami last year. And um, his size, I think he is very athletic. I think he has arm talent. I think he's another one. He did not have the same talent around him this year. He made some poor decisions turning the ball over or forcing the ball where it probably could have kept it. Uh, and then Jaden Daniels is an incredible story coming from where he started at at uh, ASU, uh, Arizona State, where he was still developing. You can say, God, this guy will never be a first-round pick to when he transferred into LSU and the strides he made from last year to this year and uh, how much better he has improved. So I think all three of these uh, are going to be very successful. He would go on and, and has previously talked about how he thinks there's a chance that, as you heard at the end of that answer, all three of these quarterbacks could be really good NFL QBs. Mm -hmm. But he's got May ahead of Daniels, it sounds like, in his pecking order as his number two and his number three guys behind Caleb Williams. Here's the question I would have. Does his thinking matter any more than a normal media person who is a former GM? In other words, we know that he ran a front office. We know that he's made quarterback decisions. He was the guy that paid Cousins, brought him to Minnesota. He's drafted QBs. Like, I, I get that he's a former GM. It's not like me or you just sitting here right. talking football and telling you what quarterbacks we like. But does the fact that he was working with the commanders – the fact that he's presumably talked about the number two overall pick with Peters, maybe even with Quinn for all we know, does that give it any more credence when he says what he thinks, or is he just another former GM in the media? It's more. It's, I think you quantified it very well. It's more than you and me. It's more than most fans. It's more than most media members, but it's less than Adam Peters. How much do you think he talked to Peters about what he would want to do at number two? Because remember, the whole point of Spielman in that mm -hmm. kind of uh, group – like, Bob Myers was the here's how you structure an org guy. Mm -hmm. Josh Harris was the I'm the owner and I'm the businessman type guy. Rick Spielman was the football guy. Football and, guy in the room with football and guys. when Adam Peters would leave and Ian Cunningham or any of the other GMs would come and go for their interviews, they'd go, all right, Rick, how did he stand up? What were the football chops like? You know, I wonder if he's talking about number two, if he's putting a check mark for someone who's really high on Drake May versus Daniels or vice versa. I mean, there's no way that that never comes up. A person talking about football is probably going to talk about the situation the football team that he may or may not be coaching is in. Yeah. You know what situation they're in? The salary cap money. Uh, what's the best way to allocate salary cap money? What's it, the number two draft pick? Do you think that 
absolutely that comes up. Evaluations there because you want to hear. You want to hear guys how how, how you know the convictions on players, right? What can he do? What can he do? What could he do for us? What makes the most sense? What kind of player do you want? Well, would that be something that you have to get at number two? Could you get that at fifteen? Could you trade up, trade back? All those kinds of conversations absolutely are happening when you start talking philosophies and team building, roster building, the whole nine yards. Absolutely, it came up. Now, does that mean that the the evaluation that Rick Spielman has is identical to Adam Peters? Of course it doesn't. We're not naive. They're not like sharing a, a you know one AI brain at this point, but I guarantee they've had some conversations and some some thinking will rub off. Yeah, and also what Spielman thinks honestly doesn't really matter because they didn't hire him as GM. I guess my point is, would he be more inclined when he graded these guys out to just say more favorable things about someone who might be like-minded on some of the critical issues of the offseason? I think that's a fair question. I guess my answer is <clears throat> I value his opinion as a former GM the same way I would if we were to have Bill Polian on or mm-hmm. you know Randy Mueller or some of these guys. And Spielman I actually think really highly of. I thought he was a really good GM and think he's been a good executive, think he should get back in the league. Uh, but I don't think his take on the number two pick is in any way indicative of what Washington might be thinking. Because at its core, that's really what we're asking and what we're wondering. Is he, you know, what you and I joked about this when he was helping with the searches. Mm-hmm. I remember saying something along the lines of, I can't wait till he goes back to doing his draft pod so I can hear all of his take on, you know, what he thinks Washington's going to do. Right. If he came out and said, and he will eventually, I'm sure, if he said, I think the commanders really like Jaden Daniels, and I think that the commanders are a good fit for him, I expect them to take him, that would mean more to me. Radar goes up. Now, I know he's talked to Adam Peters more than most. I know he's talked to Dan Quinn. I know he's talked to Josh Harris. When he makes a prediction, when he suggests what he thinks they think, that I'm going to care about. But just him, when he's asked, what do you think? To me, that is on the same level for me of of my interest as just super knowledgeable evaluator types that are in the media. Rest assured, when he comes at you and makes a prediction, mm-hmm. now I'm listening. When we hear, hey, what do you think Washington should address in free agency? I think they should be really aggressive, and I think they want an inside linebacker. Like Those are the types of things probably that he's now using. How, why wouldn't you use that knowledge that you gleaned from that process in your life now, leaving that gig? Of course, it's an asset. It's an advantage, right? I mean, you, you had that inside <laughs> You know, uh, inside the rope that we're all craving, all, all that information, as you said, makes you better when you're when you're outside, being able to sort of speak to it in, in an authoritative way. So you're 100 percent right. I, I I maybe I put more stock in it than you do, is what it sounds like. I mean, I'm not sitting here going, "This is gospel." They're trade up the number one to take Williams, but it is to me more noteworthy than your average bear. Like like again, we'll have on the Dane Burglars of the world. The, the you know, I, I can't think of all the, the draft guys. There's so many that we like, uh, Christopher Prasso and and. Uh, um, you know, all the, all the smart dudes. We get the point. Right, yeah, all those different you guys. Keep That'd be a good I mean, bit. You know, the guys uh, with the hair, good That's dude. A, my guy, Chris Russell, bit, where you just name like, uh, who's the guy? You just name like 10 more guys. Tampa Trey and uh, Trevor Sycamore. And then we have, yeah. I mean, it, it means more to me than those guys. Not that th- th- those guys are good, but it's like, it's, dare a, you. it's a little bit more to me, a little bit more weight to it because he was in the room in those interviews in that process. I don't even know if I would go that far. At this point, honestly, to say that, which is weird. I don't think I trust Spielman as a former GM implicitly more than I do 
someone who just grinds state for hours and hours and hours who was never a GM. I guess it, it, I would determine that based on their batting average, how they've fared recently. When I've asked them about guys, what did they think? Like, were they super high on guys that stunk or low on guys who turned out to be great? Because let's face it. I mean, as much as I love Spielman, and I do think he was a really good GM, it's not like they batted 1,000. He was there when they just took Kellen Mond, wasn't he? Maybe that was Quazy's first draft, but like you can go back right around and there. find a lot of misses, man, uh, with with the Vikings. I mean, so <clears throat> just because you're a GM, that doesn't mean you got carte blanche. I don't think. Let's go to Shane in Virginia. Because you know he was in on this process, Shane. Does it add in, in any way to how you feel about him saying he's a Drake May guy? Commander Danny and Grant. No, absolutely not. I, I, no, I, I, what he says doesn't hold water to me. It doesn't matter what he says because I know what, the, what we're going to end up doing probably. What I think we should do, honestly, I don't care what anybody thinks. But, you know, no, I think that there's other quarterbacks out there besides the three big names. Like there's a kid out there by the name of Joe Milton III that everybody compares. Like you want a Josh Allen back. He's got the strongest arm. When he comes in the NFL, he will have the strongest arm. Shane, you're doing a Homer, Tennessee bit right now, aren't you? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But here's the thing, though. Look at Anthony Richardson. You drafted him last year on pure, pure ability. If you're going to draft him on pure ability to draft, the draft, still the pick has got to be uh, Joe Milton III. Like, look at the size. Look at the arm strength. All Drake May is a bigger version of Sam Howell. That's it. I think we have other needs. Yeah, we need a quarterback. But we have a quarterback on the roster for dirt cheap. Let's say we build this offensive line the way you're supposed to build a franchise because that's how you win. Look in the Super Bowl. Just, it just, just, you saw it every Help year. me with something real quick, Shane, while I got you. Because yeah. bef- before I let go you ahead. go, you just said something that I see other people say. And I couldn't disagree with it more, but I want to know where it comes from. You said Drake May yeah. is a bigger version of Sam Howell. I don't think they really have a lot in common. I mean, they, they, they're from North Carolina. They have strong arms. That's about it. But why do you Mobility, say that? They're both, because, number one, they're both athletic. Okay, They're both athletic quarterbacks. And you know what? <laughs> Sam Howell didn't have a bad year last year. This, I mean, he got thrown to the Wolves. Technically, when they messed up this organization, they should have put him out there year one. Agreed. And this year, have been his second year coming in, and now you know what they're evaluating. Now you can sit there and say, we need a damn quarterback. But we've not had a quarterback in 30 years. They're going to go ahead and draft. I would draft Daniel. Me, personally, I would draft. I wouldn't have, the NFL's changed. It's not that Peyton Manning sat back and, and take you apart. You have to have a mobile quarterback. Look at the super, look at the front four right now in every defense in the NFL. I agree it's with just, you. Thanks, Shane. Thanks for the call. Here's the problem, though. You're suggesting that Drake May isn't that guy. Drake May is way more mobile and way more a runner, in air quotes, than people think he is. I mean, he didn't run for 900 yards because they lost all their weapons, like Howell did his last year. You know what I mean? But, like, he still moves around. The playmaking gene is there. He is the only quarterback in the last two years to account for 9,000 yards of total offense when you combine passing and rushing. Nobody else did that. He accounted for 42 first downs with his legs on third and fourth down over the last two seasons. 42. If you compare that, I think Daniels was, um, the, the number for Jaden Daniels was 22. Caleb Williams, 23. Bo Nix, 31. Drake May, third and fourth down scrambles. He ran for first down 42 times, more than anybody else in the country. The notion that he does not have that mobility, that athleticism, those legs, is just incorrect. And I'll say the same thing to defend Jaden Daniels as a passer. 
I think people have given him a bit of a raw deal throwing the ball, and I think people are giving Drake May a raw deal running because you see that. It's like, well, you can't just be a pocket passer in today's NFL. Probably true. Also, good thing Drake May is not just a traditional pocket passer. He's a hell of an athlete. 800-636-1067. Do you care at all that Spielman, who helped Washington find their GM and their head coach, has gone on the record to say he's got May ahead of Daniels on his board? You're listening to the fan. Yeah, I like Drake May a lot. Uh, I had the ability and uh, to watch him play live down in Miami last year. And um, his size, I think he is very athletic. I think he has arm talent. I think he's another one. He did not have the same talent around him this year. He made some poor decisions turning the ball over or forcing the ball where it probably could have kept it. That's Rick Spielman, who helped Washington find their GM and head coach. Welcome back. Grant and Danny on the fan. Look, Rick Spielman's opinion is a lot like that of other now analysts. He is a GM. He did run a draft room. But, you know, Danny, you said you kind of put him ahead of the guys that weren't GMs, Mm -hmm. which I understand. He drafted Christian Ponder and Teddy Bridgewater and Kellen Mond. So I don't even necessarily do that. I think he knows what he's talking about. I think he's sharp. I like the guy. I want to get him on the show. I think he is as good an analyst right now with the GM backing and perspective as there is. But I say that to tell you, like, I'm not adding any extra value because he was in the room helping to pick Peters. I don't think he said, who would you take second? And Peters said, "Eh, probably May over Daniels. And then he went to the Harris group and he's like, this is definitely your guy. Did it come up? Sure. He also likes both. As he said in his answer, he Mm -hmm. thinks, there might be three guys in this draft that are really good. But the question we've got for you guys is, look, when he speaks, we're going to be paying close attention. He was in the room for much of this offseason with Harris and the ownership group. And I specifically think when he makes predictions or gives you an idea of what he thinks the team thinks, you got to listen. Your Raiders should be up. Someone tweeted me and said he probably signed an NDA. Well, no kidding. Just know this. Unless I tell you, I'm speculating, or if I say I have no idea, this is just me throwing this out here. Most of the time when I say, I'll bet you they think, or I think that they think, someone has told me what I'm about to tell you. Like, that's how this whole game works. That's on background information. That You could call it off the record. Off the record to me means you can't use it. But now it's all mixed and matched. Really non-attribution, right? Hey, here's what I think this guy's going to do for us at corner. I don't attribute it to me. And then I just pretend on the radio like an expert, and I try to break it down. But that's the whole name of the game. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm texting people and calling people and trying to learn from people. So, yeah, he's got an NDA. He That means he can't come out and say, the commanders told me that they took Jaden Daniels off their board. And you know what told me that was Steve. Like, you exactly. can't do that. Yeah. But he could say, I don't think the commanders like him that much. I don't. My guess is. They like Drake May more. I'm making all of this up. Yep. But that's how he's going to use that knowledge moving forward. That's how people in this business use information they glean to come off uh, as if they know what they're talking about. That's the whole name of the game. Sure. And so, But just to this issue specifically, again, I don't think it's as simple as he he looked at Adam Peters' evaluation, which probably isn't even done yet, by the way. Well, you that's know, the it, other thing. I guarantee <laughs> when he said they weren't breaking the players down because Peters hadn't watched the film Yeah, they yet. couldn't have. So it's not as if he, he took the evaluation, 
crossed out Adam and put uh, Rick at the top and turned it over. It was like, I love Drake May because, and like turn look at the paper, because he's big and strong. Of course not. I'm not saying it's that glaring and stupid and obvious. I bet you when they talk draft, it was more, what do you think about General philosophy, a yeah. What do you think about taking a guy at two? I bet you they may have talked about the guys casually, but there's a, Peters has not studied them yet. Right, but it, and it's it's more along the lines of what did you learn from your you know trading up for Trey Lance when you were in the room for that decision that got made that didn't go very well? What would you do differently? What would you look for differently? Would you look for a guy that was you know starter starter experience on a, a team that was bad uh, to elevate guys around him? Would you look for someone that won the Heisman Trophy? I mean, those sorts of questions and inevitable discussions about football, like that's what football people do. They talk about it. When I'm around like other baseball guys and like baseball coaches, inevitably we're talking about like the fundamentals of, of a swing and you can't stop doing it because you're addicted to it. These football guys talk to each other and he was in the room for some of the most important decisions this new group made. So there's some degree of import to that. It's not a 10 out of 10, but it's not a zero either. Let's go to Richard in Capitol Heights on Grant and Danny. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Danny. I'm doing well. Um, Rick Spillman. I watch him a lot on CBS uh, Sports. He's, a, he's good. I, I, I respect him and all. But as the guy that answered the phone, I really believe that um, it's going to be Peterson and the guys that he trusts the most. I mean, I understand that he helped with uh, getting Peterson. But I think more so is going to be as well as uh, Josh, you know, being that this is going to be his first time with an NFL team, with an NFL draft. I believe that um, – They'll take their time and, and pick the right one. So as much as I respect his view on things, I believe that um, it's just, you know, him just, you know, speaking his, his point of view. Yeah, so to be clear, I appreciate the phone call. Don't Please don't mistake what we're saying. Nobody thinks Rick Spielman's calling the shots. He's not an assistant general manager. If they wanted him to be, they would have named him mm-hmm. the assistant general manager. They didn't. They went and got Lance Dumar. That's not what we're saying. What we're asking is, is there any way that his interests, proclivities, the way he sees things may have influenced the process as to how they landed to find someone like-minded? Sounds like both of us are kind of dubious about that and skeptical that that was the case anyway. But yes, he, he is not picking the players. This is an Adam Peters operation. Harris, because it's a quarterback. When it comes to GM, head coach, quarterback, the owner is going to be involved. I would imagine he's going to ask a lot of questions and not give a lot of answers because he knows what he doesn't know, unlike Dan Snyder. I certainly mm. hope that's the case. But he'll be at the table, and and I think it'll be your GM, your assistant GM, and the entire scouting department, Tim Gribble and his crew. Those are the people whose opinion's going to matter here. Mike in Leonardtown, what's up? Hey, Green Danny. Uh, like the conversation, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know that Spielman's got – I don't feel like Spielman's going to have too big of a – of an impact. He, he certainly got a lot of experience, but uh, um, hopefully he keep that little bit more close held. I, I, I would like to comment though. I think one of the things that a lot of people are overlooking as far as that second round pick is uh, the scenario of possibly picking up uh, Hendon Hooker who uh, played for Tennessee. He was a uh, Heisman candidate before he got injured and he got picked up by the Detroit Lions. He's sitting third, third, uh, third on a depth chart. He was a third round pick. And uh, they can He's pick him up. He's under contract, but how would they you get mean a, him? With a trade? With a trade, second round, second round pick. If you could trade your second round for that guy, would have been a top three pick. He's, I believe he's better than any quarterback that's coming out. And right now, he's just sitting on their bench. I mean, oh, man, they're I not going they away from golf. 
I don't, I don't think they're going away from golf, at least for another year. And the longer he sits on that bench being a quarterback, they're going to have to pay him big bucks, and he's not going to have proven anything. Uh, they, they really won't have to pay him anything, honestly. Sitting on No the deposits in the bank there, I yeah. Mean, he's a mid-round pick, so he doesn't really make any money. And, yeah, he could he just, in perpetuity, could kind of sit on the bench and not make a lot of money. They, I'm sure they would take that deal for a second. I'm not willing to do that. I mean, he's 26 now, by the way. Yes, he He'll is. He'll be 27 I was going to mention his age and the very serious injury that he had. Uh, Daniel's much more higher ceiling electric player. Yeah, same conference, better numbers, better performance this past year. I like Tenant Hooker a lot, for the record. Same here. Uh, wouldn't have taken him early because of the age and, and the injury So history. bummed about that injury, man. But he, he was a guy when they took Hal, like in that range, that would have made some sense. And he could be your Sam Hal, basically. I think is kind of what, what he'll be in the league. G&D on the fan. Uh, let's uh, catch up with our guy David Aldridge next of The Athletic. Want to ask him about the learners deciding not to sell. He has been a Nats season ticket holder. What does he make of that? Uh, also a D.C. sports analyst and legend uh, who's covered the NBA since before I was born. Should the NBA do something about its all-star game being panned all weekend long? This is the fan. With Danny, I'm Grant. This is The Fan. Kick off your future with the law firm of Condorian Murad, the official Grant and Danny sponsor. They'll help protect your assets, update your will and trust. Schedule a free estate planning strategy with one of their Fairfax-based attorneys. Visit kmlawyers.com and mention us, G&D, to score a discount. That's kmlawyers.com. We are joined right now by our buddy, a Hall of Fame insider and broadcaster in the NBA who covers a thing or two in this city. We can ask him about any team we want to because David Aldridge is versatile like that. And in fact, I want to start with the Nats and get to the NBA All-Star game. David, thank you for the time. How are you? Grant, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. You sound silly, by the way. Uh, he, what are on, we using? What are we doing? He's on a Zoom, I think. I'm on a Zoom Guys, don't ever drop your phone. I'm just telling you that because oh. my phone my phone is looking at me now with all kinds of different colors and stuff that are not normal. So so I 
as soon as I'm done with you, I'm going to the Apple store. We're getting a new phone tonight. So, yeah, got to zoom it for right now. Well, there's probably like some story somewhere that, you know, someone went to this restaurant because they couldn't get reservations to a place they like, and it became their new favorite restaurant. I think we're yeah. only going to do Zoom guests from now on. You sound you incredible. This is great. <laughs> I mean, Darius okay. was over there. Yes, my like computer works. That's good. <laughs> Darius was over there, you know, plugging wires into other wires and cutting things with. Like duct he, tape. he did that thing where, like, you start a car with the wires. Right. It's right. working. He's hot wearing it, huh? I uh, love it. All right. Before we get to the NBA All Star Game, because I love not only what you've had to say about it, but you guys did a great thing on the Athletic with a bunch of the NBA reporters discussing it, which was really good. I read this morning. Uh, the Nets yeah. are not selling. You are not only someone who covers this team, but you and your family have been fans. And at one point, you were a season ticket holder, you told us on the show. Uh, yes. I don't know if you still are or not, but they are not selling the team anymore. Uh, they have taken it off the yeah. market. But what do you make of that? I mean, I'm, I, I, no, I'm not. You know, Grant, it's funny. Like, you know, normally you would go, okay, well, that's, that make, that's good, you know, that they're not selling anymore because um, – they have institutional memory. They know all the people in the organization. They hired all of the people in the organization, right? So, but then Mark Lerner says that this has been decided, this was decided a while ago. Okay. Well, if it was decided a while ago, <laughs> then how do you explain your off season when you did nothing? Okay. You didn't, you signed Joey Gallo. I'm sorry. That's, you didn't do nothing. You signed Joey Gallo and Nick Senzel. Okay. Um, you needed a lot more than that to kind of take the next step in terms of competitiveness. Because to me, if you just say as an organization, well, we're just going to, we're just going to count on James Wood and Dylan Cruz to come up here and be great for minute one. I think you're setting them up to fail because very few guys come up here and are great for minute one. Um, you need to give them some help. You need to lengthen that lineup a little bit. And, you know, as somebody that advocated them, trying to get Reese Hoskins, for example, um, somebody that hits a lot of bombs. Um, now, I know Joey Gallo hits a lot of bombs, but he also hits 177 last year. So, <laughs> so I mean, I'm not hating on Joey Gallo. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, like, to me, they're, 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 the moves they made this offseason were the moves of a team that was about to be sold. We're not putting any new money into this team. We're not doing anything to add to our payroll. We're going to get this thing sold as soon as humanly possible, which you don't have to like as a fan, but you can at least understand it, right? Like, you know, okay, mm -hmm. all right, well, they're about to sell it, so they don't want to put any new money into it. But if they say, not only are we not selling it, we decided a long time ago we weren't selling it. Okay, well, then explain this offseason to me then, because this offseason doesn't make any sense if you decided a long time ago you weren't going to sell the team. So, David, I don't think they could say the following, but I think they could find a way to get this word out, right? If they basically said somehow, I don't know how well it would go over, but I, but I think it would help at least kind of explain the point that you're making. I think it's 100% dead on right, by the way. If they basically said, we can't compete at the highest level as long as we've got $70 million of cap space going to a guy who will never pitch again and one guy we yeah. wish wouldn't pitch for us in, in right. Strasburg and Corbin, uh, you know, respectively. If they yeah. kind of said, it doesn't matter what we spend, we're stuck. I don't, again, it wouldn't it wouldn't make up for everything, but at least people would go, oh, okay, there's a plan beyond we're just never spending money ever ever again. Right. Does that make sense? Right. All I ask, Danny, out of any owner is just tell me the truth. Just tell me the truth. It's okay. I may not like the truth mm -hmm. as you see it, but 
I understand it's your team. You can do whatever the hell you want. So I wish Ted Leonsis would just say, I'm taking the $2 billion. That's why I'm going to Virginia. Because they offered me $2 billion to build an arena there. Okay. No, I mean, I don't like that. I'm a DC guy. I want them to stay where they are. But be honest about it. Don't talk about the opportunities and all that. We state of the art. No, I took the money. Fine, take the money. It's okay. Your team, you can take the money. You bought the team. You can do whatever you want with the team. Same here with the Nets. I agree with you 100%. Just say, look, we're not going to spend any money until this team's ready to compete again. Okay. At least now, as a consumer, I can make a decision. Do I want to support that? Because I love baseball and I don't care. And I just want to go out and have a great time with my family and friends a few nights a year or 15 nights a year. I love going to baseball games. I love major league baseball. I'll live with whatever the product is on the field. Okay. You can, there's, I will never question anybody who approaches it from that standpoint. Some people may say, Hey, you know what? I want to see a, a product that's going towards winning. Like I think winning is important. I want to support, I want to pay money to see a team, my team, local team win. And until you do that, I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy season tickets. That's also a decision, but you've given me information now. They are not giving you information. They're just talking about our goal is to win a world series. Exactly. When is that supposed to happen? When you bring in nothing in an off season in a major league off season in what may be the toughest division in baseball. Like I, you know, so explain again, to your point, Tell me what the plan is, because this is no plan. This is just meandering from one season to another and hoping that you catch enough lightning in a bottle that you win a few more games, because it can't be. We're just going to throw the kids out there and see what they can do, because you know what? A lot of those kids are not going to make it if you do it that way. David Aldridge, Aaron Grant, and Danny. So <clears throat> I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but as a massive baseball fan, I also see that the Orioles did this and look at where it got them. The Astros did this and look at where it got them. Uh, kind of a similar question to what Danny asked, but I guess what I'm wondering is like none of them came out and said, we're tanking for four years or we're not yeah. spending money because you can't. The league hates it. They want nothing I, to well, do with it. They're changing rules already. They screwed the Nats over in the draft process to make sure that teams don't do what Washington's doing even though it's the best way to get good fast. Being good, yeah. being mediocre for seven years is the worst thing you could do. But I digress. Yes. But I guess my point is they really can't come out and say, hey, we're not going to spend again until we're ready to. But what they're doing has worked for the Cubs and the Astros and the Orioles and, God forbid, the Nationals when they picked first overall after two straight 100-loss seasons. Like, why can't they do it this way? They can do it this way, yeah. Grant. If they draft well enough to do it this way right and <laughs> there's their the drafts yeah. have been pretty damn suspects <laughs> horrendous um, but it's but, great to build through the draft yeah who's the last pitcher they drafted that is that's up here and is and is dominating drafted not traded for drafted the orioles have drafted a lot of pitchers who are really good and are now up here or they're about to be up here and they're dominating Totally, but I'm just a lot of pitchers who have come up through their organization. They drafted a lot of those players that won the World Series. Totally. But I guess my point is less that the 10 years of bad development, right? This window, which I look at as kind of a three year, 2021, 2022, 2023, their system has improved every bit as much as those other systems. Now, for them, it's because they had to trade 
Juan Soto, and they, yes. they've given up a bunch of pieces. So they went and got an all-star starter along with a catcher. They have not drafted well enough, no doubt about that. We hope this past year with Dylan Cruz and um, some of the other players in that draft class, Andrew Pinckney, you know, the, um, uh, among others, that, that they hit. But I guess my sure. point is just, uh, and I'm not necessarily arguing what you're saying as much as if I'm a Nats fan, I, I hope that they get back to being spenders and engaged and aggressive. And they were a top five-ish payroll on opening day, I think, the way when they won the World Series. Maybe this was just the design of we're not spending a penny while we're bottoming out. Again, that is fine. Just say that. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's I, I can't get past that. That's fair. As yeah. somebody who used to, I don't have them anymore, but for many, many years had season tickets. Um, I, I you have to tell Paolo me. Paolo Espino wasn't it doing it for you? <laughs> What's that? I said Paolo Espino wasn't it doing it for you? Not doing it for me. And uh, no, look, to be, no, I'm look, sure those tickets I, were I, cheaper, right? They, they I got the out. Price. I didn't get out because they're terrible. I got out because it was just too expensive. That's just my because I had to put two kids through college, and you have to make choices. Okay, so and and Relatable. the kids were getting to be college age, and you got to start deciding. Okay, well, what are we doing here? So it, that was not it. This was not a reaction on my part. What I'm just what I'm saying is, as somebody that who has had to make that decision, though, I understand that their timeline might not match up with mine as a fan. But you have to tell me what your timeline is and how you how you intend to get to where you say you're going to get to. It's great to say we're going to win another championship soon. How are you going to do that? There's only two ways you can get players. Well, there's three ways. You can draft them, you can trade for them, or you can sign them as free agents, okay? They <laughs> charitably have not drafted well <laughs> for a very long time. <laughs> they haven't drafted well in the draft. Their international performance has been very suspect, I think most people would say. Yeah. Um, they, did, they did very well when they drafted a generational player at one in Bryce Harper and a generational player at one pitcher in Steven Strasburg. Yes, they they got the number one picks and picked the right guy and good for them. They get credit for that, although I don't think it was that difficult in those years to pick those guys, but they picked them. They did pick them, so they get credit for that. But other than that, it's been waning. Now, have they been good in free agency? Yes. Yeah. They were real good for a while. I mean, they signed Worth, who turned out to be a pretty good player. He's, he kind of reset the expectations here. They brought in Daniel Murphy, right? They got Scherzer. They've been real good. Nobody is asking them to spend at that level right now. We all understand they're not good enough to spend at that level to get into Cody Bellinger. We, I, no one's asking them to get into Blake Snell. Nobody's <laughs> asking them to do that. I think there's a difference between that and the moves that they made, which were no moves. That's all I'm saying is that you can do a little bit. Their payroll is what, 134 going into this season? I think Cots has them at 134. Maybe it's 124. 124, 134? That's nowhere near the tax. <clears throat> like, you can't tell me you couldn't add 15, 20 million in payroll and get nowhere near the tax and put and add two players who could help you win some more games this year. We were looking at it earlier. They're 23rd of 30 teams. And that's because of the Strasburg and Corbin. Right. If, if you take but, Strauss and Corbin out, that's 55%. They're down below right. the Pirates. I mean, this is the lowest payroll in the sport. So that's all I'm saying, guys, is that you you got to show me the blueprint. What's the blueprint? 
It, you know, and and yes, I think Wood's going to be good. I think Cruz is going to be good. I'm not disagreeing with them on that. I think they are going to be good. Um, I hope Gore is going to be good. I, mean, I think he's got you know potential, and you and you you hope that their injured guys come back this year, right? And 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 help them out a little bit. You you know at at some point this season. Um, but again, I don't see a plan. I don't see the year to year plan. I don't see how you go, how you end the season in October of last year with the pitching, with the starting pitching staff they have. And you start this season with the exact same starting pitching staff you had last season. That doesn't make any sense to me if you're trying to get better. Then add a pitcher who's better, who can help you win some more games this year. Not the top of the line, guys, but there's so, there's a happy medium in there somewhere. And they don't, I don't see the happy medium right now. David Aldridge with us here on Grant and Danny. Yeah, let's switch to the NBA All-Star game weekend sure. uh, if, if we can. I, I'm old enough to remember, and I'm doing the, per- the thing that my dad used to do that I make fun of, and now I'm very much doing it. But I'm old enough to remember the rivalries and when East versus West mattered. And I know that's mm-hmm. not the same, and I'll never get that back. But I feel like the game has disintegrated to the point that I'm looking for other solutions. I, I, I'd still like to have an All-Star weekend. I don't know what the solution is exactly, but what did you make yeah. of it? What do you think? It was horrendous. Well, I shouldn't say it was. The game was horrendous. I don't think so. I think Saturday night was pretty good. You know, I think Saturday night was pretty it's good. Fun. I think Steph and Sabrina lived up to the hype. It was fun. I don't think it's great to have two of your four dunkers be guys that aren't actually in the NBA right now. But okay, you know, it's fine. <laughs> you know, yeah. Mac, Mac McClung was fun and he dunks and it, it, it's, it's fine. It was fine. I don't have a problem with that. Three-point contest is fun and exciting. It's the only thing that really is fun and exciting to me um, on Saturday night. That's why I've always said that should be the last event. For some reason, they make it in the middle because it's the only event that actually has real drama to it. But but it's their call. It's their their show. Um, Saturday was fine. uh, But Sunday was abomination. It was horrendous. Like, we were talking about this this morning with some people. All these guys in the league now, what's the – the one thing they say, who who was your idol growing up? Oh, Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bryant, Mamba mentality, Mamba mentality. That's who, that's how I am. Really? Well, watch Kobe Bryant in the all-star game and you get back to me. You tell me how he played in the all-star game because you're not playing like that in the all-star game. I just looked at the fourth quarter of the 2001 all-star game, which was played here in DC at what was in MCI center. And the East came back from 21 down. The, 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 the quality of, forget the quality of play, just the level of play, just the hard way that everybody played. Matumbo blocked every shot in sight. KG was trying to dunk everything. Kobe was phenomenal. Iverson and Marbury dying, going into passing lanes, getting steals, pulling up for threes, crossing people over, getting to the cup. The place went nuts in the fourth quarter because they were competing with each other because they're the best players in the world. And this was great to see the best players in the world really going after each other for 12 minutes. And it was great fun, and it was a remarkable game. And so, again, if you're telling me you want to be like Kobe Bryant, okay, that's how he plays in the All-Star game. When they played in Atlanta, Jordan's last year, and everybody wanted Jordan to get MVP, go out in the sunset with with, with the MVP. And Kobe said, to hell with that. I'm, I'm going to score the last five <laughs> seconds. 
forces to overtime and I'm going to win and I'm going to be the MVP. Because <laughs> that's how he's wired. <laughs> okay. So I just, yes, I, it's, it's beyond frustrating to see guys not give a damn. And that's two straight years of you guys could not possibly care less about playing. You know, and that's not what this league is about. And the people that you purport to to idolize, they never played like that in all-star games. Ever. Michael Jordan never played like that in an all-star game. Isaiah Thomas never tricked an all-star game off like that. Magic Johnson coming back from HIV never played like that in an all-star game. So you want to be, you know, showcase it for fans, and you're going to tell me, well, we're trying to save her. We don't want anybody to get hurt. Do you think those guys didn't want to get hurt? Because that year, Kobe Bryant won the NBA championship. And the year before, he beat Allen Iverson's team for the NBA championship. I'm sorry, it was that year. What am I talking about? It was that year, mm-hmm. 2001. The finals were the Lakers and the 76ers, whose two best players busted their humps in the All-Star game that year. So stop it. It's just, I, I don't understand what's going on here, but it's not good and they need to fix it because if they can't fix it, get rid of the game. Yeah, I'm kind of there. I, I don't have a great idea as to what to do next. You guys in The Athletic today you know, threw a bunch of ideas out there. I've kind of long thought maybe a two-on-two, three-on-three tournament or something, have yeah. a, a second Saturday night, but all the all-stars competing in some of those things could work. But I was really interested. I want to ask you about something you said in that yeah. round, round table, which was a couple of the really respected NBA writers who I follow on The Athletic suggested maybe just paying, right? And yeah. and, and others said, well, you know, I don't know. It's not a good uh, – It's not uh, the optics aren't good. Fans don't want to see guys getting paid a million for winning an All-Star game. But I thought your point was awesome, which was nobody really cared, or certainly anymore, nobody's thinking about that the in-season tournament – the motivator may have been partially a half million dollars a player. You know, if we, I think it was you who said, if we get a couple sponsors and the NBA throw in and it's 12 million for the 12 players, a million per person, maybe at least in the short term, that makes them play a little harder. I guess just give me your thoughts on, because I thought you said it really eloquently. Like as soon as I heard the idea about paying players, I thought, ah, that doesn't look great. You know, these guys, the fans around the country, they're making a lot of money, adding another million one game right. exhibition, but your point was good. Like no one's going to care if the game is good. I don't think anybody's going to care if the product's better. Yeah. Like the in season tournament worked. I was a skeptic. I didn't think it was going to work. It worked. I don't think it worked just because of the money. I think there was other things. I think the fact that LeBron got into it and said, "Hey, let's go win this thing. Hey, it's something to win. Let's go win it. Okay. That was cool. And, and played hard and really, really um, gave, gave a lot of effort. Um, but the money did matter. At what level it matter? I don't know. So I'm not saying this is going to work, by the way. I'm just saying you got to do something other than this crap these last two years. <laughs> That's garbage, what you just put out there. Um, and, and to pretend like it wasn't because people scored a lot of points is just ridiculous. And that's what, you know, what worries me about the league and something else that I wrote this week is this. I just think the league's out of balance right now. I just think there's been so much emphasis on offense making sure that the rules allow the best players to create offensively and do the things that they're great at and i have no problem with that but i think there's been too much of it in one direction there hasn't been a single rules change in the last 30 years that benefited the defense in any material way wow every single change has benefited the Mm. offense 
You know, you can go, you you guys, everybody can go back and look at those games in the eighties. I get it. Look, it's a different it's, sport. Yeah, it's a different game. It was too much. It was too much holding, too much banging, too much. I get it. It was. Nobody wants to see 80, 75 games in the finals. Okay, that's that is a fair criticism, right? Like fair. So they tried to go the other way. I just think they've gone too much in the in the other way. And you add to that, you know, the kind of primacy of the three-pointer now where everybody hunts three-pointers every game. It's just a matter of how many do they hunt, but everybody's hunting them. You just have this game where it's just a series, just three-pointers and layups and three-pointers and layups, and there's just no and there's no defense because it's impossible to, to defend under the current rules. It's just, it's almost impossible. It's not impossible because some teams still do it, but it's really, really, really hard. So I just think the game's a little out of balance, and the All-Star game kind of reflects that to me because players seem to think that it's okay the way they're playing. <laughs> and people are going, no, it's not okay the way you're playing. That's not good. That's not fun. Nobody wants to watch that. You know, and so, I don't know. I, again, I'm not saying I have the, all, all the answers. I'm saying if, if, this is the, if this is what you're going to put out there, you should just stop it right now and come up with something else. You want two-on-two two or three-on-three three or horse or whatever. Don't pretend you play a game anymore if these guys don't care enough to actually play the game. David, always a treat, man. Really appreciate the time. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks, guys. Sounds like a bummer with the phone. Hopefully you can get that taken care of today. <laughs> On my way. All right, see ya. There's David Aldridge, one of the best to ever do it, and a strong take and a good take. On the all-star game. Because they've been willing to make tweaks before. When they did Team LeBron and Team Giannis or Team this. and They they recognized something wasn't working. This is as bad as it's ever been, and they're in dire need of a change now. I want to get back into the, the learners not selling the Nats that he just covered with us. Mm -hmm. Do you trust that they're going to spend again when it's time, which is probably next offseason? Or do you think that they are not as engaged as they once were and that that sand's not going back in the hourglass here? Do you think that they're going to get all the way back in and do this thing the right way? 800-636-1067. We're Grant and Danny. The moves they made this offseason were the moves of a team that was about to be sold. We're not putting any new money into this team. We're not doing anything to add to our payroll. We're going to get this thing sold as soon as humanly possible, which you don't have to like as a fan, but you can at least understand it, right? Like, you know, okay, mm -hmm. all right, well, they're about to sell it, so they don't want to put any new money into it. But if they say, not only are we not selling it, we decided a long time ago we weren't selling it. Okay, well, then explain this offseason to me then, because this offseason doesn't make any sense if you decided a long time ago you weren't going to sell the team. Best I can do to try to explain the offseason would be they didn't want to block any of their prospects and they didn't want to spend money on a last place club that they felt like would be paying veterans high end money for a couple of years of non contending baseball at the front end of those contracts. It's the best I can come up with. But I think DA said something, and that was David Aldridge you just heard from, that was really important and that I liked. Later in the conversation when he said there's a big gap between spending on stars yep. and doing what they did with Nick Senzel and Joey Gallo. But if you're joining the show, leaving the office for the first time today, 
one of the major stories here in D.C. sports is the Lerner family is no longer exploring a sale of the Washington Nationals. And this came down yesterday via Mark Lerner, who is the club's managing principal owner. He talked to the Washington Post, and he said, we have determined, our family has determined, that we are not going to sell the team. He said they came to the decision a while ago. We have no idea if that's days, weeks, Yeah, months. what does that mean? What is that? What is that? Nothing has really changed, Lerner said Monday. We've decided that it's not the time or the place for it. We're very happy owning the team and bringing us back a ring one day. So you and I talked about this at the start of the show today. Mm-hmm. And the first angle we took was, is this a good or a bad thing, basically? And what I decided, Danny, is this is better than the team being for sale in perpetuity and in limbo where we think they're trying to sell and they're unable to, but they're not engaged. This is worse than them being sold to somebody else with money who wants to dump it into this product. So I think this is not a good thing or a bad thing, but rather this is fine. And I think the way it will be a bad thing is if the last few years is their new norm. This is their level of financial commitment. This is their level of engagement. The way it would be a good thing is if they get back to doing what they were doing when this team was really competitive from 2012 to 2019, when they did go out and sign Max Scherzer, when they were going out aggressively adding payroll, when they were one of the higher payrolls in Major League Baseball. The question is, do you trust that they're going to do that? To, to feel okay about them continuing on the team, you have to talk yourself into the possibility that this was a four-year tank that they're coming out of right now, hopefully. This is the final year like this, and that basically they just weren't going to add money and payroll to a losing team and block the minor leaguers that they were developing when they got to the major leagues. I think that's a good way to build. I think teams like Houston and Baltimore and Chicago and others have done it successfully. We even saw Washington do it 1.0 here. So that gives me hope that they'll do it the right way. But if they don't start this coming offseason doing that, then we're in big, big trouble here. I, I don't have confidence. I'm hopeful. I'm not writing it off. But if you ask me, you know, bet your mortgage on it, do they open up the checkbook next offseason and, and sign their Scherzer, sign their worth? I don't think so. I, the 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 thing that I come back to is the learners are obviously very successful people, more successful than me. But this is sort of within within this realm. They do it their way, whatever their way is. They think that team is worth more than the Mets two point four billion dollars. It's not, but that's what they think. So they're not selling because they couldn't get that. They think they could take a manager uh, and sign him to a deal that for a, a fraction of the time that everyone else is signing from the open market for a fraction of the dollars, offer him that and do it. They think they can sometimes go around the general manager to sign their generational superstar or brought in the World Series. You, you get these stories enough times and you go, this is their way. The league has moved on from their way almost universally. Again, I know Otani just did this weird deal with all the deferred money, but you want to go sign somebody. I don't think people are going to be interested in, we'll give you 16 this year, but f- but 11 for the next 17 years, and then there's an interest payment in 2060. When you're 74, we'll get that done for you. The guys want their damn money. Everyone knows now. The word is out, but they're going to do it their way. And their way needs to be updated. And these last few years of precedent don't really scream to me, we're updating our foul along with the rest of the league. And they're, they're still doing the learner style of stuff where the learners are meeting with the learners and there's a committee and they just take forever and nothing really happens. And we sort of go, yep, we're still very much into this thing. It doesn't feel like there's this massive sea change coming. I could be wrong. 
I wouldn't bet on it either, but I am very hopeful, and I guess I'm more confident than you are that they're going to spend. What does spend mean? I'm not sure. I think they're going to, like, it will not resemble in any way what the last couple off-seasons did. I'm just making up names, right? But they'll go out and they'll sign Anthony Santander for good money to come in Mm -hmm. and bring in power. They'll hit the pitching market, and they'll pay a guy like, uh, I don't know, Kyle Hendricks or Shane Bieber or, or, or... um, maybe Ross Stripling was pitched for the Dodgers and the Blue Jays who can be like a middle-of-the-rotation starter. Do I think they're going to go do Max 2.0 and pay like Zach Wheeler a four-year contract as a 35-year-old? No, probably not. I-, I would bet against that. But I do think that next year they will start spending. I do. I think that, you know, they'll look to add starting pitching, add a big bat, and that they'll – realize that next year is the year to go over 500 to make a little bit of a wild card push. And then hopefully the year after that to be back in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But I am going to be judging them on next year as it pertains to the remainder of their time as owners. In other words, if next year they, they are uh, not aggressive, they don't spend, they don't bring in major league talent. It's similar to these past few years. I think I'm out. And at that point, I'm, now what does that get them? No, nothing, right? I'm just <laughs> livid and crying in the corner. But I guess my point is, if you're like-minded with me, you have no problem with not spending at the big league level during the tanking. And I'm not suggesting that anyone needs to keep their season tickets or keep paying the prices at all. Yeah, it's your fandom, however you, you want to spend it. Do whatever you want to do. I'm getting the cheapest tickets I can get every time I go over there. For a reason, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to hope that an usher doesn't see me walking down as low as I can get or whatever. But I guess my point is, I think that what they've done the last three years is completely excusable and fine if next year it ends, the spending begins, and it's time to winning. Business picks up. If this is just them now, and they're hoping James Wood, Dylan Cruz, Cade Cavalli are, are the, the guys that will get them over the top, it doesn't work that way. Mm-mm. Do you guys have faith that they will turn the clocks back and be big spenders again, yes or no? And did you find the announcement by Mark Lerner to the Post yesterday to be a good thing or a bad thing? 800-636-1067 is the number on G&D. Nat spring training underway. The bombshell that dropped in West Palm Beach yesterday. The learners are no longer trying to sell the ball club. What we want to know from you is how much confidence do you have that they're going to start spending again when it's time to? That's next season, by the way. This that's a year for not even a year from now, but the beginning of next offseason. One to ten, Danny, your level of trust that they're going to do this the right way, that they will be good owners. And by good, I mean committed, engaged spenders next offseason. Three. I'm going to say six. I hesitate to go any higher than that for obvious reasons. It's been a long time since we've seen it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go lower than that, though, because you just got to go back to 19. And even at the the deadline, they were still pushing chips in uh, all the way through the 2020 pandemic season. I mean, 
you know, that that was a brutal year, but they kept the band together for the most part. They thought they had a shot to run it back. The, the year started, remember, on opening day with Juan Soto popping positive and not being able to play. Just riding a stationary bike at home. Awful. It has been downhill ever since. Four but, straight terrible seasons. I mean, at 21, they thought they were going to win. And that was the year it all came crashing down. Yes. I mean, they, they had a group that was kind of, it was still the core, no Howie Kendrick, but still basically the guys that won the World Series with young ascending players like Victor Robles in a larger role. But whatever. They thought they were going to win. And then it all, of course, was was a disaster. Max's body started breaking down yeah. a little bit. So did Strauss's. Strauss has not been the same since 19. With Corbin pitched to a 6 ERA. I mean, the whole thing. That's a good starting kit. <laughs> yeah. Not being very good. That's your top three starters in your rotation. Let's go to Tim in Springfield. Tim, what was your reaction to the news they're not selling, and do you think that they could still do this at a high level? So I'm not sure about the do this at a high level, but my first reaction was how odd that it was about a week after the Orioles got sold. Agreed. So I've been here since they moved. In a oh, no. Ticket holder. And the biggest thing that went wrong is all of their money going to Evangelist. Once that your phone's oh, dang too much. He was saying it's hard to hard to imagine it's a coincidence that Orioles sale resolution, some light at the end of the tunnel for Masson. And by the way, that's no longer the boon. That isn't the white knight coming to save you for cash flow that it would have been 10 years ago. It just isn't. RSNs are different. Uh, television packages are different. It's not profitable for anybody, but it was basically viewed in that deal. That's one of the, the things that came out about uh, Rubenstein uh, buying the Orioles is that Masson is basically viewed as near worthless when it comes to the transaction. Yeah, but for the Nationals, there's still added value in getting off of the Orioles network. Without question. It's not a, a nothing burger. I mean, that would be a massive deal. I also just think being at odds every step of the way with the Angelos is oh, it's the better. Orioles. No, it's better, yeah. It's a game changer to have them owned by somebody else and be able to possibly do business with them. I mean, the Nationals have never made a trade with the Orioles. Think about that. Mm -hmm. I think that's the only team the O's have never made a trade with in their history. But th th those teams don't interact, don't do business from all the way at the top. <clears throat> now, with a new owner, a path to getting out of the Masson deal, I think it probably does completely change the algorithm for their interest in being the owners of this team. Andrew's in Man uh, Damascus. What's up, Andrew? Hey, how's it going? Good. Come hey, in. Hey, man, I'm nervous. Uh, I think that the Nationals, I mean, this was Ted's project. He, you know, he brought them to Navy Yard. That's his legacy. He built all that. I feel like Mark isn't as passionate about it. And I think that's really going to be what takes <laughs> us down. Uh, he tried to sell the team. If I tried to sell my car two years ago and no one bought it, I'm not going to put a new engine in it. I'm going to push it down a hill and forget I ever had it because I have billions of dollars in real estate. That's, I don't really care yeah. about this. It's a great point. Here, here's my pushback. And this is speculative, but it's slightly informed. I won't say slightly. It's informed speculation. I think there are members of the family who are somewhat of what you're describing. When Ted was no longer in the picture, they wanted out of this business. Yep. This is a car they want off of their lot, so to speak. I don't think Mark is that guy. Mark loves baseball. Mark drove to Fredericksburg to go see James Wood play after the Soto deal. Mark drove to Fredericksburg. I sat 10 feet from him when Harleen Susana was making his debut and pumping 103 miles an hour because he couldn't believe that this high school-aged prospect that they just got touched 102 a bunch. I mean, this guy does still love ball. He was sitting there knee-to-knee -knee with Rizzo when they called uh, the name of, of their number two overall pick, Dylan Cruz, in the draft last year. So 
I believe that Mark Lerner is still a huge Nats fan, is still very much in. I think the reason they still own the team is because he wants to own the team. Do I think that everyone in the family is is like-minded? Probably not. Right. And I think that, by the way, is the essential part of this. Again, it's a committee that we don't see. We only see the top of it, which is Mark. There's 11, 12 other people that have a very large say that we don't really necessarily see all the time. It's got to be so complicated. It is. And I think other people have dealt with this in some way in their own life. You lose a parent, you got a house or whatever, and totally. you're dealing with siblings. I'm sure there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes there. Max Chadwick joins us next, one of PFF's lead draft experts, to talk about the top quarterbacks in the class. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 